0: What's going on? This is the Saturday Night on South podcast. I am Conor O'Gara. Will, you went super, super viral on Tuesday night. Explain to the people how that happened. Listen, man, I don't know how, but like my My Twitter account is just like an NBA account. Even
1: though I like, you know, I'm on a college football podcast, I guess like that's just where (laughs) my following is. Gotta, gotta, you know, diversifying the portfolio is what I'm doing over here. But yeah, man, the playoff Pellys are here. They're headed back to New Orleans. I'm going to LA this weekend. So hopefully I'll be able to like sneak away from our work team dinners and watch that. But I'm fired up, man. This is one of my favorite times of the year.
0: What are you going to LA? Oh wait, you didn't explain why the, why the tweet went viral, the, your Zion tweet.
1: Oh, uh, because people are tired of the Suns mainly, I think. I think the Suns were super healthy last year and they just played a bunch of hurt teams. And then as soon as Booker went down, they were like, oh, Booker's hurt, asterisk. And everyone was like, no. Like, like we were talking about off air, teams just have injuries in every sport. Teams have injuries, you gotta play through it. Sometimes, you know, they're massive ones, but teams still overcome that. That's just part of playing a physical sport. So, yeah.
0: So you tweeted,
1: Oh, yeah. I, sorry, sorry. I was, I was, I didn't intro it. That's my fault. Basically, I, I tweeted, oh, no, bro, the Suns lost their best player. And I just had a picture of Zion sitting on the sidelines, being a chonk in his massive chain. And he's just sitting there looking kind of sad. And it's like, yeah, we, we haven't had Zion all year, man.
0: Yeah. Did that get like, what, like 12,000 likes or something like that? Oh, it's at like 40K right now. Yeah. It says 40K? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my God.
1: I have one a year, bro.
0: I'm good for one a year. One good tweet. There's the Jazz tweet, um, and then, yeah, and and now this one. Yeah, Yeah, just one a year. Just keep firing away. Uh, Probably not going to have a lot more NBA Twitter discussion today. Uh, A lot of football discussion, though. Mm -hmm. Great, great show lined up. My guy Jim Dunaway over at the next round is going to join us in a bit. Fun conversation with him, just talking about a lot of Alabama, Auburn things over the years. Uh, Plus, we're going to do a little bold and brash SEC receivers edition. But first the best way too early Heisman Trophy bets. Oh, let's go. I got, I got two goals this year, Will. That's a lie. I got more than two goals. I literally have my goals on a piece of paper right here, sitting sitting on my desk. Um, these two aren't on them. I need to add them to that list, the growing list. We'll probably, we'll probably settle on around 10 goals that we'll have for 2022. We're big goals guys, you and I. Oh yeah. That's one thing that we relate on all the time. I'll never forget when you came into, you came into my apartment like four or five years ago and sat down with this list of like, like a notepad full of goals just like bang 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 this is what we're going to do here this is what we're going to do here i was like will is ready man yeah. will is fired up ready to go i love it that's the and way to
1: be honestly a lot of the guys uh it was, a lot of it was a guest list for this podcast a lot of the guys you have gotten since it was you know guys like stoops like i think that uh, it's actually pretty i would love to go find that list and see how many things have actually happened since then because in the
0: years since i think a lot of that's getting filled out actually we should, yeah, we should. Always good to revisit goals, too. That's, that's the whole point of making them in the first place. All right, so two of my goals. One is to become a Heisman voter. Talked about that. TBD, mm-hmm. I've at least gotten the ball rolling with the right people. So, kind of fingers crossed, we'll, you know, I'll keep the people informed. The other is to get this phrase trademarked friends don't let friends bet on preseason Heisman favorites. Yeah. I I think I'm going to strike out on that one. I don't think you can get something trademarked when it has a, a separate trademark within the phrase. I'm probably probably in some trouble there. Um, I'll maybe just have to settle for like a chest tattoo of it or something. I don't know, we'll (laughs) figure something out. Dude, I hope whenever you retire, you just go crazy. I
1: hope you just get some piercings and some tattoos, live on a boat in Florida and just become like super Mike Leach. Like that's what I want for you. (laughs) My
0: my retirement plans consist of um, like, I don't know, 30 years, 40 years from now. Probably writing books still, that, that would be my retirement goal. I would be one of those people that would ride the bike trails in Dunedin, Florida. I would go to spring training games and I would have a nice little life for myself. We'd go on the water, we'd kayak, we'd, we'd, we, we, would, we would do just fine on Dunedin. Now you've got me thinking about retirement and I'm like, I'm turning 32 in, in a couple, <laughs> couple weeks here. We've got a long ways to go to get there. Uh, okay. So here's the crazy thing. Even though I said last year that I didn't like the odds on Bryce Young, the preseason odds with him winning the Heisman, I would argue that my theory actually held up and the new early Heisman odds are are starting to kind of catch on to what I've been saying for a while. Trivia question that we ask on this podcast every single year, Will. Since 2009, we've only seen one player win the Heisman after entering the year as a preseason top two candidate in the betting odds. Who was that player? Marcus Mariota. Boom. You pay attention. See? That's why that's why we pay you the big bucks, Will. That's exactly why right there. <laughs> I pay
1: attention to the podcast that on. Wow. The bar yes. is the floor. <laughs> yes.
0: Hey, I'm really bad with reading comprehension. I always take a lot of heat for that. Lauren's way better in that respect than I am, but you know what? You, you, you listen, you process these things, you learn. Some, somebody somewhere knew the answer to that because you've repeated it for us on these airwaves. Young last year was number three in the preseason Heisman odds. Who was ahead of Bryce Young? You ask? Spencer Rattler, DJ Uyungalile. Oof. Yeah. Uh, Didn't work out. Not the best value then, not the best value in mid-October when both of them were very clearly eliminated from the race. Wasn't going to happen. Still, though, Bryce Young became just the third player in the last 13 seasons to win the Heisman after entering the year in the top three in the preseason odds. Mariota, Baker Mayfield, those are the other two. You know what's so the last funny
1: too, Sorry. At that time, I remember us saying... You know, we might actually take that bet, but he he hadn't really played a meaningful snap at that point. Like he was doing cleanup duty and we were thinking, you know, Alabama effect that seems really high, da 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 it's like, this is why you bet on Alabama. You as much as I hate to admit it, they just win
0: everything. <laughs> but at the same time, like it- we still hadn't seen an Alabama quarterback win the Heisman. We had seen Mac Jones. We had seen Tua. We had seen Jalen put up really, really good numbers, and Mm -hmm. it still didn't necessarily net that Heisman winner. So he was still breaking the mold to a certain extent. But again, not even a preseason top two guy as somebody who had never started a game before. That, that, uh, in my opinion, so like, you, you kind of look at that trend and, and you're seeing it more now. And I guess, I don't know if it's so much a trend, but Bryce Young was the first redshirt freshman, he's technically a redshirt freshman, to win the award since 2013. 2013 was James Winston, 2012, Johnny Manziel became the first redshirt freshman to ever win the award. So if you do a little bit of math uh, in the last, uh, what is the last 10 Heisman winners preseason, Top three, all right? Oh, wait, no, I did that wrong. Let me back up a sec. Let me back up a sec. I'm doing too many stats. I'm bad combining bad. stats. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. <laughs> oh, like I lost myself. Okay. In the last 13 years, less than a quarter of the winners were preseason top three guys in the odds, all right? That is the byproduct of a narrative driven award. We say that all the time. It's more scrutiny for guys at the top, combined with more access to guys that are playing across the country that aren't on national TV because we can stream all these games, blah, 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 blah. You've heard me say this before. But I tweeted out what FanDuel has for the early Heisman Trophy odds and figured, you know what? Hey, it's a Wednesday morning in April. As Will Will Ferrell's character in uh, Blades of Glory says, it gets the people going. All right. That's what you got to do sometimes. So here's the top 10, if you haven't seen this. Way too early, Heisman odds via FanDuel. CJ Stroud is at plus 200. Bryce Young is at plus 400, meaning that's like four to one on your money. Caleb Williams is at plus 1,200. DJ Uyunglele is at plus 3,000 somehow. Tyler Van Dyke also plus 3,000. Jackson Dart plus 3,000. Quinn Ewers is at plus 4,000. Keedon Slow. is at plus 4,000. Dylan Gabriel plus 4,000. Spencer Radler plus 5,000. Bijan Robinson plus 5,000. Will Levis at plus 5,000. I said top 10, but I couldn't just stop at 10 because if I stopped at 10, um, Bijan Robinson and Will Levis were tied. So that's 12th. I guess you're top 12 in the Heisman Trophy odds. Few observations from that one is that cj stroud is the favorite at plus 200 and bryce young aka the the reigning heisman trophy winner is at plus 400. repeating is hard go ask every heisman winner not name archie griffin about that either way though getting two to one Four to one getting that those kind of odds on your money for one player at the college level to be the absolute Best in the sport is not good value Especially when you consider the numbers that I already threw at you about the the narrative and how difficult it is For those guys who start off as favorites to win personally, I would rather drop 10 bucks to try and win like 400 I think that's kind of more what the Heisman is about Mm -hmm. at least in terms of odds Remember how I said the odds makers were catching up to my movement of friends don't let friends bet on preseason Heisman favorites. Okay, last year there were 13 guys with odds of 30 to one or better. This year, there's only six guys with odds of 30 to one or better. Which means there's more long shots, all right? Mm-hmm. They're kind of trying to entice you a little bit more by doing that. I'd probably pass on betting all the guys that are 30 to 1 or better, especially DJ Uyunglele. First
1: off, if who, you're betting on DJ Uyunglele at this
0: point, you need some help, yours, brother. <laughs> you <need> you're his <laughs> dad.
1: You're his <laughs> dad. That's it.
0: DJ's the here. He's a unit, all right? <laughs> if we recall, like, I don't know if he's pulling some strings or something like that, or if we're just missing something here. But I don't know. I tend to think that a guy who did not finish in the top 100 in FBS and quarterback rating Probably not the best to be able to be one of the Heisman favorites coming into the year. You know, just a thought. And we did see him over the course of an entire season. So don't really think that the odds are really lining up well for him. I saw a graphic Um, the
1: other day that actually, like, they predicted him to lose that job in camp. That five-star they put in. (laughs)
0: Like, literally, this guy's season could be all over the place. Yeah, Kate Klubnick, the the guy that they're really really high on, they're yep. saying maybe he's like the next the next Trevor Lawrence. The problem being their depth is really bad behind him. Um, they just lost they lost a the guy. Oh, what's his, I can't pronounce his last name. I never learned the pronunciation. You can't pronounce? Hoot. Wow, they are just it's, messing with you at this point. <laughs> Dude's got like thirteen vowels in his last name. It was a tough one. If he if he had been if he had been named the starter, I would have mastered that pronunciation. But he hit the portal, so like their their depth is is really hurting. Uh, But I mean, they're they're actually going to be in good shape now because when you're able to get Hunter Johnson back, you know, I guess you're fine. So that's the (laughs) Dabo way. Good good to go. Fixed it. Yeah. Figure that out. Um, But yeah, Heisman odds are weird and I don't always get them all the time. Like DJ Uyungle having 30 to one odds while Will Anderson has 60 to one odds just makes you want to pull your hair out. It's maddening to think about that. You did not hear Will Anderson's name in those 12 that I just kind of ran through there. And I had a lot of people quote tweet my tweet saying, give me Will Anderson all day, every day. I, however, don't even like him at 60 to one. So let me explain. Um, Two things can be true at the same time. One is that I think it was highway robbery that Will Anderson was not in New York. I think you Mm -hmm. absolutely could have argued that he was the best player in college football last year. And if you're asking me to pick today, I think he is the best player returning in college football this year. Um, Cool tweet by PFF to say, does Alabama really have the best player in America on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball? Uh, Yeah, thank you. Pretty obvious, yes, actually. Uh, Welcome to the conversation. We've been here for a while. Nice to see you join us. And this Nick Saban guy, they got pretty good too. He's just pretty pretty good. He wins a lot of football games. Yeah. I don't know if you heard, but yeah. The other thing that I think is true, and why I don't like Anderson to win the award, and why I wouldn't even be willing to do the 60 to 1 flyer, we just saw him have 34 and a half tackles for loss and 17 and a half sacks, and the voters didn't even think that was good enough to get him to New York. Who's he competing against this year? the 2021 version of Will Anderson. Yep. That's stupid, that's really stupid logic and it's totally unfair because nobody else is being held to that standard besides Will Anderson, but that's the way that this works and that's the, 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 the mindset of these voters. And I honestly don't think Will Anderson is going to have Uh, better numbers than he did last year. I don't think he's going to have 34 and a half tackles for loss and 17 and a half sacks because I think he's going to get the 2015 Joey Bosa treatment. He's going to get double teams. He's going to get triple teams even more than he did last year because teams, everybody is going to know who Will Anderson is no matter what from the jump. Keep in mind, like coming into last year, it was still kind of like, oh yeah, he was coming off a really nice true freshman season, but he hadn't exploded onto the scene in the way that he did obviously in 2021. So a little bit different. Do we really trust voters to pull 180 and suddenly decide that a defensive player who has yet to win the award this century is about to win it if his numbers suggest regression in any sort of way? I don't. I just don't. And for what it's worth, I hate that. And I think he will absolutely have an All-America type season as long as he's healthy. I think that he would be worthy of Heisman consideration but that's why the odds are kind of where they're at and why they're at 60 to one. I've never seen someone just get bonafide as quickly
1: as him. Everyone just almost skipped all of the praising of him. They were just like, it's like they're treating him like a 10 year NFL vet and he's like this young. It's just like, yeah, no, don't worry about it. Like, yeah, it's Will Anderson. He's awesome. He's the best player. We're going to give it to someone else because we've just learned about them. It's like. Are you serious? Like, everyone just does this to him. I've never seen it. It's like most defensive players, like, kind of start to get overrated by the end of the year. For him, it's like they skip that whole step and they're just like, yeah, he's better than everyone. Cool. What do you want us to do about it?
0: Yeah, I think it's... I think that worked against him. I absolutely think it did. And I've said before, the fact that he was already going against uh, an edge guy. So voters felt like they had checked that box with Aiden Hutchinson and then they felt like they already checked the Alabama box with Bryce Young. And so they're like, well, I guess, you know, we don't have to give, we we don't want to fill our ballot that sort of way. He's not different from those two players, which is just like the dumbest way to possibly think of it. It's like, just, just vote for the best players. That's, that's what this should be about. Almost like there would be an award for the best player in college football. It's crazy what a concept i've heard good things about that so that's why i'm not necessarily one of these people predicting him to win the heisman now i would love to be proven wrong and if he has that type of a season and all of a sudden there is this 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 pushback and there is all of a sudden this growing movement and that in itself is like this counter narrative then i'd be all for it i'd have absolutely no problem if that warrants it but i just don't have a lot of faith in that instead I like these five bets a little bit better. And again, I'm not saying that these would be my five, like number one bona fide Heisman picks, but we're talking about odds. We're talking about trying to make you a little bit of money. This is about the futures. All of these odds are via FanDuel as well. Okay, Quinn Ewers, the Texas quarterback, 40 to one. Bryce Young just became the third redshirt freshman in the last decade to win the award. We already talked about that. Ewers would be following the Jameis Winston, Johnny Manziel path of not throwing a pass as a true freshman. He had two handoffs at Ohio State and then winning the award in his second year of college. No, I don't think Texas is going to be back, although let's shout out the PFF Twitter account again for asking that question and then stealing a video of Ewers making a really nice throw in practice. Thank you, PFF Twitter account. Continue to do the Lord's work by basically being Bleacher Report Report 2.0. Really appreciate that. Totally fair, logical question probably to ask uh, based on a play that we see in April. You know, really, really think that 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 justifies it. But um, no, in all seriousness, viewers has a path to the Heisman. We know that he is tied with Vince Young as the highest rated quarterback recruit at any place in the 21st century. Again, like not just Texas, but any place. He is the, considered the perfect recruit. And if you've ever seen him throw, I mean, you, you get it. It's, it's not really hard to figure out. He can spin it. It's intoxicating to watch him throw a football. And that's why there, there is this significant buzz. We know that Texas hasn't had an offensive player drafted in the first round since Vince Young. Let me repeat that. We know, based on listening to this podcast, that Texas has not had an offensive player drafted in the first round since Vince Young.
1: That still doesn't make any sense. I know you told me this
0: a long time, it still doesn't make any sense. Yes, Um, yeah. Uh, We also know, fun stat here, uh, Texas hasn't had a player finish in the top five in the Heisman Trophy voting since 2009, Colt McCoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that should be almost impossible to do in that state we as a, a pro Northern Illinois podcast can acknowledge that even Jordan Lynch was able to kind of break that trend all right for for a school in the MAC, so not really the best look for for Texas, but that's also why we can have this hype and why there would be that type of excitement to see an offensive player at the quarterback position, obviously, at Texas doing big time things. He's working with Sark. He's got the best returning tailback in the country, in my opinion, in B. John Robinson. They just keep adding these former Alabama pass catchers as well. We got our guy Billingsley, mm-hmm. Jai Hall as well. So like we know that he's going to be surrounded with with some pretty good talent. They also have that alabama matchup week two and look i'm not saying texas is going to be the alabama alabama fans do not take that this way please do not but he could have this massive coming out party kind of win or lose in that type of game nine win texas with Ewers putting up 40 touchdowns would make that a real scenario especially in the very likely event that he makes all of these viral throws i'm telling you watch this kid throw a football it's it's pretty cool you're like wow that's not supposed to leave the hand that quickly and that naturally he's going to be one of those guys where you're like "Are, are, are you trying like that's, that's how gifted he is as a player, despite the fact that he's got the worst haircut in college football. Um, all right, let's go to a guy that you're, that you're really familiar with. Dylan Gabriel. Oh yeah. The new Oklahoma quarterback, also at 40 to one. He is reuniting with former UCF, former Ole Miss offensive coordinator, Jeff Lebby, he, we love Lebby here. Um, we, we love the offense that he runs he initially was going to be transferring to ucla to get out of the cuss (laughs) on offense at ucf basically i mean it wasn't a good fit we kind of knew that and we're a little bit skeptical of that from the jump but decides after jeff levy goes to oklahoma you know what i should probably go follow my former offensive coordinator there match made in heaven Mm -hmm. here's the path for gabriel oklahoma is now the scoring lover lincoln riley caleb williams they both left I could totally see Oklahoma following this, like, see, we didn't need those guys anyway, kind of storyline this season. It's expected to be kind of a shift in identity, of course, because Brent Venables is taking over one of the best defensive minds in the sport. Mm-hmm. So. Dylan Gabriel is, in a weird way, no longer competing against Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, and Jalen Hurts. Remember, we talked about how that's what Spencer Rattler was competing against at Oklahoma. But now that this is a new regime, a new coaching staff, you're kind of like, well, he can kind of turn the page and he's kind of competing against more so just the quarterbacks across college football and not guys who he's following in their footsteps. He can put up monster numbers for an Oklahoma team that wins the Big 12, has a playoff path, which. Don't think that's totally crazy with Oklahoma, especially Oklahoma's going to be really good on the defensive side of the ball with Venables with a team that ranks number 15 in the country in percentage of returning defensive production. The great stat that Bill Connolly always has. Remember when Gabriel was last healthy, 2020 mm-hmm. 32 to four TD to INT ratio. That was in a 10 game season. And I was with Hypel in that offense in 2020. He can sling it. Lefty is very, very gifted in that department. If we're talking about like forty pre Heisman touchdowns for the Big Twelve champs, that won't be as ho hum for an Oklahoma quarterback as that's kind of been in the past. So I think he can work kind of along those parameters. Will, you've watched a lot of Dylan Gabriel. How do you feel about those odds at forty to one?
1: Um I actually feel like it'd be a great chance. I think that um He's basically Spencer Rattler 2.0 from an attitude perspective. I know a lot of people haven't watched him at UCF, but he is a very um, personality-filled guy. It's the best way to explain him, especially on that big stage in Oklahoma. I mean, now that Oklahoma has that defense like you were talking about with Venables, I feel like hopefully that narrative, I mean, not hopefully, who cares, like, why do we care? But, you know, hopefully the narrative of um like them being an offensive team that just puts up all these numbers, kind of gets put to bed as far as they're a little bit more balanced and it's not just, you know, 60 to 50, like it has been in previous years. You know, that was one thing we were big on coming into this season. Hopefully they would figure it out. But yeah, I think that uh, Gabriel out there is a dream matchup. You talked about Levy uh, and obviously Venables are both Oklahoma guys. And I think that Gabriel has a reason to kind of prove everyone wrong. He's one of those guys that we always talk about like proving the doubters wrong, like Bryce Young with the Heisman. He's kind of in that spot where it's like, You know, he's going to go out there and raise his draft stock from a guy that was told over and over again he would never be an NFL player. Um, So Oklahoma is going to be really, really, really fun to watch this year, man. As I'm looking up and down this thing, it's like this is going to be one of the most exciting Oklahoma teams, I think, because they have the ability to be balanced and they have a quarterback who can make all the throws. He has an insane amount of arm strength. He has great ball placement. He's just a little bit short, um, but he's going to have to kind of make up for that. And I think his goal, obviously, is to get to the next level. So he's going to be showing out.
0: And I think there are gonna be a lot of people who are expecting this significant drop off because you lose Caleb Williams, mm-hmm. they, lost, they lost receiver talent to USC as well. And it's kind of like this changing the guard offensively. Surely you can't be better offensively if, after you lose Lincoln Riley. I'm not saying they're gonna be on that level, but it's like, all right, well, now you also have Brent Venables. So yep. uh, the margin for error is a little bit different. I might have to move up Oklahoma in my when I adjust those those preseason those preseason rankings we did the way too early top 10 right after the national championship and I was talking about how Baylor I thought had a really favorable path to be able to kind of repeat his big 12 champs but I might need to talk myself into a little bit more Oklahoma after kind of considering some of those points and seeing that the Gabriel addition which actually was at the time I don't know if that was official yet I'm blanking on the timeline of this it but, was
1: weird man like you said you went to UCLA put up the graphic and everything who's gonna go play for chip yeah. kelly and then just kind of flipped
0: yeah um okay so a guy who is running a really similar offense penn and hooker at tennessee 60 to one are his odds we are hen dogs of course mm-hmm. i don't really i'm not crazy about the hendo cinco nickname oh no like, eh. is that a thing yeah it's just a little bit of a mouthful I'm growing into hen dogs the more and more I say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he was going to be on this list. I, I dug up this stat that is just truly insane. I, I tweeted this out the other day. Um, last year, our guy Hennon Hooker had more completions of 70 yards, he had four of those, than he had total interceptions on the season. Three. Wow. That's nuts. I mean, even Bryce Young, who stretched the field very, very well and obviously played at a Heisman Trophy level. He had um, four completions and 70 yards, but seven interceptions. Okay, like that's that's crazy. Usually you don't see those two things line up if you're taking those chances, stretching the field. And obviously he gets a lot of yards after the catch with the way that they space things. But still, that is just uh, to me a a very telling stat of how good he was last year. And I I think that's significant as it relates to the Heisman for a couple of reasons. If you're going to win the award in this era, you need explosive plays and you also need to avoid the grenade game. Mm -hmm. Hooker's floor is so unbelievably high entering year two in this offense because remember he didn't get the majority of those first team reps last year and he was just trying to learn the offense which was very different than the one that he ran at Virginia Tech. Josh Heupel has four consecutive top 10 offenses yet only once he returned a starting quarterback in his system and that was 2020 with the aforementioned Gabriel at UCF. Hooker had 620 rushing yards, despite the fact that he took 36 sacks, which is another reason why I like his upside. He has room to improve in that area as well. He can get better more decisive as a decision maker. He can improve as a deep ball thrower. I think Tennessee fans last year were kind of like, "Wow, we put up really good deep ball numbers." And I felt like, you know, it was an upgrade obviously from Joe Milton throwing the deep ball in terms of accuracy, but there were still some plays that that were there that were just kind of left out on the field. Scheme is still going to be able to work in his favor to design those looks and they still have the personnel, probably even more personnel to be able to execute that. So, I I mean, keep that in mind, like that's for a guy who last year had a 31 to three TD to INT ratio with the number three quarterback rating in America. Hooker did that even though Joe Milton was the week one starter. Week week two, I mean, he started the first part of the season. We don't like to talk about those days. We don't talk (laughs) about
1: the dark days of Joe (laughs) Milton.
0: Uh, Somebody asked, it was was Chuck Oliver. Chuck Oliver asked me on, on radio, shout out to 680, the fan in Atlanta. Um, he asked me like, what's the role for Joe Milton in this offense? <laughs> like a moment where I pause and I'm like, what's a nice thing I could say? I was like, Joe Milton is the enforcer. <laughs> Let him step out of the field. You know, like pregame, like before, before you play like a, you know, a, a team in basketball and you have that, that guy that's just throwing down these ridiculous dunks. We brought this up before with Milton, how yep. he could kind of be that. Let him throw a few balls out of the stadium and just let him be that guy if you want to bring him in like really late into these games just to kind of take some of that wear and tear off of uh off of uh hendon hooker then by all means i guess go and do that he's kind of your emergency backup but like that's that's his role his role is not taking snaps away from hendon hooker can we're, he we're not on board with that <laughs> that's the yeah. only thing i want to do it out there if they got Hendon maybe he can i don't know dude's <laughs> built like a tank i wouldn't put that past him he can i mean we, we could figure out something for joe milton that doesn't include taking snaps away from hendon hooker i think tennessee fans would agree with that so the path for hooker to win the heisman trophy to make good on those 60 to 1 odds nine regular season wins with at least one of them have to have at least one of them coming against florida georgia or bama two wins against those three rivals would really kind of put that, that hooker Heisman campaign into overdrive. That's the other part of this I love so much. I mean, his initials are HH, Dude was born to have a Heisman campaign. All Thanks. right. The alliteration is right there. It's just sitting there. So I think that's the path. I think 4,000 scrimmage yards, four, 40 touchdowns. That's the number I kind of keep throwing out there as this benchmark. 40 touchdowns from scrimmage. So you can get some of those via rushing as well. Um, I, I think would be a path for him. Remember, Lamar, Manziel, RG3. They didn't they didn't have national championship bound teams and all of them still won the award putting up monster numbers as dual threat guys if you want to go back to when tebow won the heisman that year as well that's something to to keep in mind obviously the 50 touchdown threshold kind of changed things but i think there's definitely a path for hooker to all of a sudden like you're looking up in mid-november you're like wait a minute this is uh this is really kind of taking off and i know tennessee fans are excited to have him back in they are very optimistic about what he can do in this offense so that whole storyline it's absolutely there for him okay obviously we got to talk kj jefferson here mm-hmm. because at 80 to 1 <laughs> that's too enticing at 40 to 1 30 to 1 i'd be like eh you know what i i don't really know that he kind of has that upside um, even as even though like I've shared my skepticism with kind of some of his projections this year I'm still surprised that the odds are that low I mean 80 to 1 that's 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 crazy considering what he did last year look the concerns um, his volume as a, as a passer isn't really typical of what we've seen from the Heisman winners in recent memory and I, I understand if there's skepticism about the receiver depth, the point that I also brought up about Malik Hornsby and maybe if he's going to steal some of his numbers, if he's being used in the way that I'd like to see him used in Kendall Bryle's offense, but I just think that KJ checks a lot more Heisman boxes than some probably realize. He's one of five power five quarterbacks with PFF grades of at least 79 as both a passer and a runner last year. We know that he makes the viral plays with his arm and with his legs. That's a key part of this in the internet age. I mean, let's, let's just kind of call it what it is. Like, It, it does matter. You can't just be this boring player, like, especially if you're not one of these guys who's getting the 330 CBS treatment every week. which. Arkansas is going to be better, it's still probably not going to be in those spots all the time. We know that KJ was the leading rusher on a team that had one of the best rushing attacks in all of college football last year. Um, they're going to be darn good in that area again. So right. I would still expect his rushing volume to be there. We know that he had four interceptions all year. And even though everybody kind of brings up the Georgia game, I think for the most part, like outside of that, he really avoided the grenade games. Obviously, if, if he were to win the Heisman Trophy, you can't perform the way that he did against Georgia and still expect to be able to kind of to ride that out. He needs to be more like the Alabama Ole Miss version of himself in a national setting, especially. Um, KJ 10th in the country in quarterback rating. All right. Only returning power five quarterbacks with better quarterback ratings last year. CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker, Stetson Bennett, and Caleb Williams. KJ also had more rushing yards than all those guys. Just want to throw that out there because that's not really factored in with, with quarterback rating. But uh, remember that KJ had had the year that he had, even though there was all this talk about coming into camp, not in the best shape. This is more of just kind of a gut thing. But I just get the feeling that's not going to be a concern this year. I think that after tasting the success that he did last year and seeing still that he has so many skeptics and doubters, at least nationally, now, I don't think within the state of Arkansas he has skeptics and doubters, but mm-hmm. I think nationally, I think that motivates him and I think he shows up ready to roll and he has a big year.
1: I hope that he doesn't get compared to his last year self because if he has a similar season without trailing I I just, I can't sing that guy's praises enough, you know what I'm saying? I think that losing him, it's almost like I wish people were more dialed into Arkansas to understand how dynamic a receiver he was, because he was able to win so many one-on-one plays, and if KJ grows, his numbers may look exactly the same, but just be spreading the ball around more, because obviously that offense is built to get guys open, but that guy was just such a matchup nightmare, but yeah, no, you're, you're totally right, you know, he obviously had such a great season last year,
0: I just hope it isn't used against him, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, agreed. And I'm going to get to a little bit more of that about the Arkansas receiver room in Bolden Brash and Mm -hmm. just kind of um, why that is just a a question that that he needs to answer. And it's going to be a a psychological adjustment that he's going to have to be able to make if he's going to be in these conversations. Okay, Cameron Rising, the Utah quarterback, also at 80 to one. Fun fact. Um, I remember tweeting out Heisman Trophy odds last November. It was second weekend of November and Rising was in the top 10, which I bet not a lot of people would, would realize. His family and uh, high school friends kind of found this tweet. And I think they were probably like 90% of my mentions related <laughs> to the tweet. So, uh, but I say that because he's a little bit like Pac-12 Hendon Hooker. Former power five transfer, he came by way of Texas. He wasn't his team's day one starter. That was Charlie Brewer, the former Baylor transfer. He replaced Brewer, who then like hit the portal in September right after Rising took over, took a page out of the Kelly Bryant playbook at Clemson. But rising after he took over, he was phenomenal for a Utah team that really kind of figured things out in the latter half of the season. If rising doesn't get hurt in the fourth quarter of the Rose Bowl, maybe Utah wins that game and maybe there's a little bit more buzz about him in the preseason Heisman conversation. But nonetheless, he was still incredibly good that day, especially he can make the viral plays just as we saw on that ridiculous run in the Rose Bowl where he should have been down on multiple occasions. Have no idea how he kept his balance on this like 61 yard touchdown run, but he's a dual threat right guy, which that's working in his favor as well. Like Hooker, he's going to get the entire offseason with the first teamers for the first time. Part of this is also baked into my belief, and we were talking about this a little bit off air, Will. Um, I think the Utah is just going to be really, really good. <laughs> And Mm -hmm. I'm kind of amazed that, what is it, Utah is a one-point favorite for that opener against Florida. Buddy, that's what I was doing. I've looked this up. Florida is now favored by either one or one and a half. I'm,
1: maybe there's like a Pac-12 cool, like, like, surfboard Connor we need to talk to because I'm totally missing this. And they feel like, based on their season, they put up 45 against Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Like, what are we doing here?
0: Yeah, I don't know. That, that That's a that's a head scratcher to me. And who knows, maybe maybe that's one of those where Vegas just kind of knows something and we're going to see Anthony Richardson explode and everybody's all of a sudden going to be talking about that. And we're going to be like, hey, see, you know, even the team that's predicted to win the Pac-12 can't even beat a team that's like, you know, expected to be four and four in the SEC. i like that. That would be, that'd be a really, really tough look for the Pac-12 to start off the year. Two don't necessarily know that happens.
1: Conversation chaos would be if Texas finds a way to beat Alabama and if Florida finds a way to beat Utah. Because both of those would just set the internet on
0: fire. Oh gosh. Florida would oh,
1: vault man. into the top. I mean, it would be insane. Oregon beats Georgia.
0: I don't think oh, that's good. That would, that, oh, that's the good third one, yep. Yeah, um don't know if we're going to get quite that, but who knows? So yeah, like like I said with rising, you know, there is a path for Utah to break the Pac-12's playoff drop. And if he does that, Utah becomes the first Pac-12 team to make the playoffs since 2016, and rising is kind of their leader, their star, then look, like that's, that's there. I, I think everybody in the Pac-12 is going to be kind of all eyes on Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley at USC, And I'm waiting on that side-by-side that we're going to get when USC goes to Salt Lake City in October. And I think that game is going to be fascinating because I I think rising is just going to show out and I think he's going to kind of show in front of the home fans. Look, I'm I'm here. I'm now. I'm, I'm the fifth year guy. I've been around for a while, and I'm I, I'm capable of beating Caleb Williams in kind of this this one on one scenario. And also, I think the Utah defense is just going to give him a lot more problems than maybe the USC defense will give Rising. So I think Rising is just a a much better bet at 80 to one compared to what is it like 12 to one for Caleb Williams at this point. Um, I got one for the road. <laughs> Stetson Bennett, the fourth. Oh, yeah. He's at 201. I'm, I'm pretty amazed that the odds are that low. I mean, that's that's crazy because remember, this award is decided before the playoffs, after conference championship weekend, before the bowl season. Georgia's path to start 12 and 0 is there. In fact, Georgia probably has the most favorable path to to getting to 12-0 and 0 of any team in the country and that includes alabama who could start off as the unanimous preseason number one because obviously georgia doesn't have to play in the sec west will pull up that georgia schedule right now and tell me i'm wrong for thinking that
1: yeah i mean they really got nothing man like honestly they don't their hardest game looks like it could be oregon probably with a first-year head coach that came from georgia or like Tennessee or Florida. Like, they really don't have that matchup this year that you're – like, remember they started with Clemson last year where you're talking about this could be a big statement win. If they wreck Oregon maybe, but we're not all high on Oregon after last year, honestly.
0: Yeah, there, there's a chance that Georgia could be favored by double digits in every single regular season game. Yep with all of that talent gone, which is a testament to Kirby Smart and it's also kind of a byproduct of a schedule that looks uh, very much in flux, I I think. Um, So if we're talking about a 12-0 Georgia team, uh, he can go into the SEC championship having that narrative in his favor, Stetson Bennett, if he is still the starting quarterback, which TBD on that. but. If you go into that SEC championship and it's a shootout and it's kind of back and forth with Bryce Young, maybe Bryce Young hasn't lived up to his own numbers from the previous year and that's what he's working against. Then is it crazy to think that Stetson Bennett with probably a top two team in the country at that point, could be having this Heisman narrative working in his favor. Um, I think he's going to be trusted to throw more. I I think also this isn't breaking news by saying this Georgia's defense is going to take a step back. Mm All right. So you kind of add those two things up and you think about, well, I mean, he didn't play on a team that trailed in the second half of a game until the SEC championship. So I don't unless unless he gets benched, the statistical regression, I don't really think should be there. If anything, his numbers should go up because he could be throwing deeper into these games and perhaps not working with as many short fields first full off season getting the majority of the first team reps and if you're one of these people looking into all these conversations in spring about van de Griffin back getting these first team reps and whatnot and you think that means that they're going to be the starter again i would push back on that i'm not i'm not all of a sudden going to change my opinion that stetson's going to be the day one guy i if think if you're counting is, out,
1: that's at this point i don't know what to tell you because Kirby's made know.
0: a point that is his dude Yes, that that is his dude through and through, and he will probably continue to get the benefit of the doubt. That's what happens when you win your program's first national championship in four decades. He did not have a chance to win this award last year. Um, and he was, I mean, playing alongside one of the best defenses of the 21st century, if not the best defense. Didn't start multiple games, which... Also a death sentence for winning the Heisman Trophy. People kind of overlooked that a little bit. And obviously his numbers didn't really have the volume, so it was never even a conversation. But at 201, 201, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, not the craziest thing I've heard of. Well, any other Heisman related thoughts here? Um. No, I mean, I think I'm I'm super interested by rising. We talked about him a little bit. I
1: think uh, this is really shaped it up to be a very interesting year of football. Um, talking about Quinn Ewers, the the CEO. Uh, I think that he's going to do a lot in Starks offense. So, yeah, man, just overall, like I think I think we have a really exciting class of quarterbacks. There's not a lot of really like hateable guys. Like there are some very confident guys for sure, but we talked about it like even over the last two years, like I'm always, I always joke about me being a hater. It's like, I'd be pretty excited for most of these guys who win the Heisman honestly. I think they're all really cool stories. There's not a guy that we're all, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I've become a little bit less of a hater, but is there really a a villain of this season? It seems like everybody's pretty cool. Uh, I think Radler's
0: still going to get hate no matter what. Oh, if he wins the Heisman, that would be chaos. I think, yeah, yeah, that would be insane. And his odds right now um, at plus 5,000, so he's at 50 to 1. Um... Not bad, not bad odds, but I don't know if you can necessarily rely on that type of volume and what that would take. And if South Carolina, South Carolina would probably need to also be like that nine win team that would have kind of a marquee victory as well, because, you know, there there will be high expectations for him. Conference is really good at the quarterback position, so it's kind of tough to be able to separate. But... It's not, it's definitely not impossible to see that. I, I think that he would be probably the guy that um, most fans are still pushing against. I think Quinn Ewers is gonna be a guy that people are rooting against as well. I, I think that's, he's gonna potentially become the new villain. I, I think guess. that is, that's that's setting up really well because of the hair, yeah. because it's Texas, because people like seeing Texas fail. I think a lot of people do. Um, I think, and because of how confident he was, because of kind of the moves that he made, of going to Ohio State to be able to get that NIL money. That's something that we talked about with Christy Dosh as well. And I thought she had some great perspective on just kind of the way that that, that, all, that was all set up. And then going back to Texas, um, Caleb Williams, do you think Caleb Williams has villain potential?
1: I think he's cool. I think you're right on viewers though. I see him as a guy who finessed Ohio State right now, but you're right. As he starts to actually play football, that's going to be the guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So those would kind of be my three um, that could have maybe a little bit of that like, hey, let's let's see them fail. And it'll be interesting to kind of see the way too early mocks that come out because those quarterbacks who are showing up in the in the first round of those draft, those draft projections that are a year away. Yep. Those guys always get scrutinized, of course. So they will probably have a lot of that, that that, that heavy, heavy scrutiny going into the season. Shout out uh, Jake Fromm and Drew Locke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Drew Locke, I don't think was really, I don't think he was so much hated on coming into that year. Um, I, he was playing, playing in a different offense as well, playing with Dooley instead of playing with Hypool, so it was a little bit a little bit different going into that season. Um, Jared Siddham was getting a lot of that love oh, as yeah. well yeah um weird quarterback class to look out to look back on that was okay let's kick it to jim dunaway first time that we've had him on these airwaves but i've been able to kind of get to know him a little bit these last couple years and i'm sure plenty of people listening to this are very familiar with his work across a bunch of different platforms he's been hosting the nick saban show as well so here is jim dunaway i'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest it is jim dunaway host of the next round Jim, I think you're in my mentions more than any person on Twitter, which is a weird thing to say, but, uh, you're the furthest thing from a troll. Like let's, let's let the people know you are not that, but like, I don't know, I think three, four days a week, I'll get a notification in the morning. And, you know, I, I, it it means that my column made the morning rounds and I gotta be honest, like there's coffee and then there's the boost I get knowing that my column made the cut and it was good enough for, for morning rounds.
2: Well, we're huge fans of Saturday Down South, and uh, we love a good column or a good story uh, that turn, that oftentimes turns into a great topic on our show, and you're fairly good at what you do for a living, so you. Uh, you, you we're able to throw you into the top reads every day, or at least when you write something, which, by the way, seems to be way too much. I think I was two columns behind last week. It was like you were turning out two a day or something. Um, we like to throw them out there and uh, and with our passionate fan base, I would imagine they fire back a couple of times at you when you uh, you jump in, and that can always uh, get a dialogue going.
0: I'm going to tell my boss as you said that because I've been doing a daily column for gosh, I don't even know how since since 2017. Yeah, since 2017. So at least the last five years, and then you know two years before that where I was doing mostly Big Ten stuff. So like that's. That's just kind of par for the course, but doing that on top of the podcast stuff, like as you know, when you got like other mediums that are going on, it's just like your brain's always thinking of ideas and you got to be creative with you in this role. And I want to get to some SEC specific stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about Alabama. We're going to talk some Auburn, but I think a ton of people across the South are are familiar with your work and they've seen you on on different platforms, but what kind of prompted you guys to, to want to make this move to do what you're doing with the next round?
2: Oh, well, we, we started as a show um, almost 13 years ago now, um, and we were on terrestrial radio on a powerhouse sports station, WJOX in Birmingham. But before that, I had done local television in Lexington, Kentucky, and then here in Birmingham at two different stations. And I um, originally hosted the Dennis Franchoni Show for the University of Alabama. Uh, I did the one and only Mike Price Show the day he was hired. They wanted to do a specialty show. So that's in the archives, never aired, but we did a show the day he was announced at Alabama. Uh, I did the Mike Shula show. And then for four, I think it was four years, I hosted the Nick Saban show. And then one year when my buddy, Chris Stewart was uh, under the weather and couldn't do it. So I've done some Alabama coaches show as well as local television. But, but you know, I was a fine bomb guy when I was driving around on my break from television in between shows. Uh, going home or going to get dinner before the late local. And no offense to Paul, but I was like, ah, you know, if I had a show, I'd do it differently than Paul does it. And uh, Paul does it his way and is very popular. And I obviously, when Paul says something, it's on Saturday down south as well. So he he feeds the beast too. Um, but, but I started doing radio with Ryan Brown and then Lance Taylor and Rockstar. And we've been doing it a long, long time. But um, eventually you get to a point where you're like, and it was during the pandemic, we were like, do we, can we, can we just own this? Can we, can we, every commercial we run and we run a lot of them, could we, instead of sending it to a major corporation, could we just put it in our own pockets? And we started, uh, drawing it up on a, on a draft board and, um, and then started doing the financials. And we decided if we were going to do it, let's do it now. We worked out to the end of our contract and. We took it off terrestrial radio. We took it straight to a YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, um, Odyssey, TuneIn, Radio, everything digital platform. We've got a great app, um, and we basically do a what used to be a radio show now a streaming show nine to one central every day, and it sounds exactly like it used to sound when we were on WJOX radio. You know, some people will come over and they'll try to do a one hour podcast and have one major sponsor. We're capitals, man. We come over, we do four hours a day live, and we at times have 36 in-show sponsors and then four and a half minutes of commercial breaks all uh, fully sponsored. So we, we, every time we do that now, it's going straight into our pockets and not, not off to New York. And that's why we did it. We did it for money. How's that for an honest answer? We did it for money. <laughs> but Like
0: you say this so casually, but there's a reason why people haven't done that. And it's, it's really hard to, to understand the space, but to have the experience that you guys have had and to be available on different, different platforms is, is fascinating. And I love the fact that you guys have the ability to, to be doing what you're doing, where interesting discussion topic, let's you know, if it's like something like one of my columns or something like that, you guys are talking about, you can just tag me in a tweet and then I can watch either on Twitter or I can watch on YouTube. You know, there are a bunch of different places where I can access it and I can just like listen to what you guys are saying in real time about about something that I wrote when like you're you're going to like be able to mention me and just kind of use the various platforms that that you guys have. I got to ask, though, because this happened the other day. You knew we were going to talk about this. My guy, Will Rogers. uh did he like wrong your family or something like,
2: what's no. up? why do you hate him so much? I, I love Will Rogers, but he's not, he's not the best. I mean, if you go by stats, uh, technically he can be the number one quarterback or the number two quarterback in the sec, but if you get away from the stats, I've seen in person, Will Rogers, you know, covering Alabama, mostly quarterback twice part of the game in Tuscaloosa and then last year in Starkville. Um, you wake me up when he throws the, his first touchdown pass against Alabama. I think he's thrown five interceptions in that game. Um, uh, in two games, two interceptions one year and three the other. I just I, Mike Leach's system is Mike Leach's system, and they're going to win a game, maybe two. They're not supposed to win, but I don't think they can consistently win. I don't think Will Rogers can consistently be. Um, one of the top three, four, five quarterbacks in the SEC, despite the stats. The stats are pretty. But when it comes to winning football games against good teams, I don't think Will Rogers and Mike Leach's system can do that on a, on a, on a day-in, week-in, week-out basis in the Southeastern Conference.
0: Counterpoint. You're okay. judging him based on going against Will Anderson. And if, you know, like you can fault – if your biggest fault is that you struggle when Will Anderson is looking across from you – you know what? I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt in that spot. I just am every single time. Other counterpoint, um, because you bring up the sets and look like, I'm. you know, we're, we're having fun here. I'm only saying I think he's the fourth best quarterback coming into in the SEC coming into this season. And the topic that was being discussed on, on your show was quarterback rankings. Um, Bryce Young is the only returning power five quarterback with more passing yards. Last year, um, only nine interceptions in 683 attempts. I know he had several against Bama. You know, despite the fact that he probably played against more drop eight coverage than anyone in the country, because that's the mo to stop the air raid and why it has maybe had a little bit of you know a little bit of the, those cold moments in the SEC so far. Only Power Five quarterbacks with more touchdown passes last year than Will Rogers with Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Kenny Pickett, Sam Hartman, and. He had three touchdown passes dropped in the egg bowl. I'm just saying, like, that's <laughs> worth remembering because I, I felt so bad for him by the end of the night watching against Alabama. You're like, oh, dude doesn't have a chance. Bryce Young didn't even have a
2: chance in the spring game against Will Anderson. He did not. That Alabama did have seven sacks that night. Four was Will Anderson. But but in the SEC, uh, you know, Alabama didn't have the best defense last year. That was Georgia. So yeah. so you've got to, you've got to work through a series of great defenses if you're going to be successful in this league. And I agree with you, there's Bryce Young, and then the discussion starts and it can be a variety of different people that you put at two, three, four, five uh, this year. And and maybe it's going to be, um, you know, a guy that, that we're not, not expecting, you know, maybe it's a a new guy to come out from Texas A&M, or maybe it's Jaden Daniels at LSU. Maybe the light bulb went off in the Florida spring game for Anthony Richardson, and maybe he's the number two. Ah, uh, best quarterback. Maybe it's Hendon Hooker. Uh, it could be a lot of people. It could be Will Rogers. Maybe it's Jackson Dart at Ole Miss. Um, I mean, the discussion starts at number two. Um, I just have seen the worst of Will Rogers, That's true. and I'm not living. In, I'm I'm not willing to live in Mister Rogers' neighborhood as a top three SEC quarterback. <laughs> That's good. You had that line ready to go, didn't you? <laughs> I did not. But I, if you ever watch our show. You can almost see it in my mind when I, when I get a line, I start working towards that. Uh,
0: I got to talk about uh, you hosting the Nick Saban show. We've seen some viral clips kind of come out of that. Um, what was your best, maybe most
2: memorable moment getting to do that? Um, I'll, I'll tell you the exact, the exact story. Um, but I was the first time I met Nick Saban. I awkwardly um, introduce myself, and I am Captain Awkward. I, in any situation, I, I'm in the worst business to be socially awkward. But I, when I meet new people, I mean, my, I worry about it for days. My palms sweat, heart rate up, whole nine yards, dry mouth. out. So we go over to have a one-on-one, Ryan Brown and I, uh, so it's two-on-one, conversation with Nick Saban days after he's landed in Tuscaloosa the first time. And at that moment, I didn't know if I was going to be hosting the Nick Saban show or not. I was Mike Shula and a good friend of Mike Shula, and I was his host. But my station in Birmingham had lost the Alabama coaches show to another station. Or actually, I had changed station. So it was still at the station I was at, but I had changed station. So I meet Nick Saban and I was like, hey, Coach Jim Dunaway, I used to host Mike Shula's show. And he gives me this. He's like, all right, that's all he gave me. I was expecting, oh, that was nice. Maybe we'll work together or something. No, he gave me it all right. And then we really, no other words were said. And we sat down and then word comes that, okay, I'm not going to be the host of the Nick Saban show. It's going to stay with the station that I had left. And uh, so I was not the host of the Nick Saban show the very first year, 2007, that he was in in Tuscaloosa. They called me the next year and say, hey, he doesn't like the guy who's doing it with him. Would you come back and host the Alabama coaching show? I was like, sure. I'll be glad to do it. Um, Intimidating guy, intimidating guy. First time that I ever saw the intimidation factor was the very first show because Coach Saban is recruiting a lot. And in the old days, we would record the Alabama coach show on Sundays, not right after the game. Most people do it after the game now. Nick likes to do it after the game. So the very first one, I knew he had recruits waiting. Uh, you know, to talk to him and everything. So I'm going to be quick. It's not the Jim Dunaway show. It's the Nick Saban show. So I, we, we taped the 30 minute show in like 13 minutes. And he said afterwards, he was like, hey, you can talk more if you want to. And I was like, coach, nobody cares about me. So I think I won him over right then that I wasn't going to talk a lot. I was on the coach's side. We were going to do this fast. We're at Arkansas. And in this game, if I remember correctly, Alabama was just beating the eyes out of Arkansas. And so I, I would assume this was 2008 and Alabama's just handing it off and Arkansas cannot stop uh, Alabama running the football and late they started to throw it because John Parker Wilson was struggling to throw the football. So they were trying to, to get the passing game better uh, because they were running like 60 yard runs for touchdowns, you know, 20 yard runs, 20 yard runs and another touchdown, but they were struggling passing and they were trying to get better late in the game. So they're throwing up, you know, five touchdowns, and they're still throwing the football in the fourth quarter. And we're taping the show after he's done the media down on the field. Some drunk from the skybox screams down, I will remember you throwing up five touchdowns late, something like that. And it stops our recording because we don't want that to be on the tape. So we start it back up. And he yells it again as we start talking. And Saban pauses, looks at me, and he goes, why the hell do you think we were throwing it? We couldn't throw and catch all day long. That's how I kept from running up the score, us passing the football. <laughs> and uh, we laughed about that. And that was a great moment. But I go all 2008, never having to do a show with, with a loss because they were unbeaten in the regular season. And we didn't do a show after the SEC championship. And that's when they lost. So in 2009, what happens? They go unbeaten and win the national championship. So it's 2010 in Columbia before I have to do a coach's show um, after a loss. So now Awkward Jim is sitting in the press box as Steven Garcia is chewing up Alabama's defense. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what is this going to be like? We've got to do this coach's show afterwards, and this guy can be hard on the media. What is this going to be like? And that was the day I learned that Nick Saban, after wins, a lot more difficult to deal with than after losses. He is is such a good psychologist when it comes to a coach. He pushes his team down to a medium when they're really, really good. But when they need lifting up, um, he's not hard on them at all. He lifts them up in the media or he pushes them down in the media. And after that South Carolina loss, they storm the field. The students aren't going anywhere. And the guys who produce the show are like, where are we going to do the show? and Nick is starting to walk out with then SID Jeff Puritan, and I walk back in the tunnel and I say, no, we can't do it on the field. There's still fans out there, and, and, you know, they will eat Coach Saban up if he walks out there. So we go back into the media room and do it with white cinder blocks behind us. Another point for me with Coach Saban that I wasn't dragging him out to the crowd. And uh, he was the nicest guy after the loss. He chewed me out more after wins than he ever did losses. And I think that's part of the psychology and why he has been so good for so long is that he keeps his players, whether they're too high or too low at this even medium place.
0: Okay. So you brought up Feinbaum before. I got to ask, we know the interaction that, that, that Paul had, and he actually went in detail about it on on these airwaves about a, a week ago, talking about his very famous interaction with Saban at media days. When Saban gave you that tongue lashing, do you remember specifically when it was or when you kind of realized, oh, man, I really stepped in it? Because more times than not, you almost realize that you've stepped in it before the question like leaves your mouth. And then you,
2: you would do anything to just be able to have that question back. I, I'm sure you've had a few of those instances. Oh, I have. I have. And the ones that those don't bother me because those are my mistakes. But sometimes with Coach Saban, uh, he has a little card that he keeps right beside him. If we were doing his radio show or he'll come out with a card. And on that card is things that he wants to get across. And if I've asked a series of questions that has not gotten to the point that he wants to drive home, Mm. it doesn't matter what I ask. I could ask, what do you think Freddie Freeman's going to do with the Dodgers? And he will ignore the question and go to his point right there and those are the ones that sometimes he'll choose if you'll go back and look at his most explosive moments in Alabama news conference history uh it'll be a very very timid or you know mediocre question and most of his rants will have nothing to do with the question it's something that he has wanted to get off his chest um all day long or for a week when he gets in front of the cameras and oftentimes that is what I've been to a couple of times the sacrificial lamb who happened to be the guy who had to ask the question. Um, But it's never been personal. And I, and I believe this to be true. I've been told by really good sources that when Nick Saban got the job, he was told on his flight up from Miami by Mal Moore and others that one of the guys that you have got to befriend in the sec and especially the Alabama job, is Paul Feinbaum and I? I've always thought that you know, and I I wasn't in the room, so I don't know, you know, what their relationship was from the beginning. But I think Paul and Nick had a relationship from the moment he got off the plane that is was very very close, and I think it was very important for Nick Saban to have that kind of relationship with Paul to where um, they they could have that back and forth, and I think that helped Nick Saban establish what he was doing when he arrived in Tuscaloosa. Do I wish Somebody had said, you've got to be friends with Jim Dunaway. Yes. But I've never, I've never come close to Paul Feinbaum. But but at the same time though, you say that. And when you go to SEC media
0: days and Saban does his, his, his rounds or whatever, he's always stopping off with you guys. Like every single time. I I don't know if the average person knows kind of how tough it is to get into that like inner media circle, whatever you want to call it with Saban. But You guys absolutely have that. And that doesn't just just come as a given, like that is something that is earned. And if you had probably pissed him off early on, like there's no way that he would still be doing that.
2: Well, I mean, I think you hit the word, you know, trust. He trusts us not to embarrass him or put him in the compromising situation. Um, But though we do get away from football, sometimes I've been amazed. Um, Like we, one time we were at a Regents tradition golf tournament and he joined us before he was teeing off. And, uh, it was before Game of Thrones final year. And um, I think he gave an answer uh, to a question we asked about what show he is watching and how he thought Game of Thrones was going to end And we were expecting, you know, some, you know, typical Nick Saban answer that he didn't know what Game of Thrones he'd been studying too much tape. And then he went into uh, a very interesting conversation about white walkers and um, what a good, def- you know, good guy to have on defense one of the white walkers would have been and um it it was a a, one probably the most repurposed comment we ever had with Nick Saban over the years so he trusts us and it is it's always interesting we don't get him on every week we don't try to get him on all the time we don't like to abuse that but when he's on with us uh we enjoy our time and uh I will tell you this this past year when I was on the Nick Saban radio show um the, the Thursday night version I'm sort of Um, I don't know who on the late night talk show circuit is that guy. Like, oh, um, you know, you know, somebody, somebody canceled last second. Um, Camilo Cabello can't be on today. Can we get, get somebody on here? We got to fill a slot. Oh, call Dunaway. That's who I am for the coaches show. uh, The radio show, when somebody can't be there, it's like call Dunaway. He'll drive down. So I'm doing it uh, this past year. And because of uh, still some COVID restrictions, he didn't get up, walk around and sign autographs. He stayed at his seat during the commercial breaks. So that gave us uh, some time to talk. Um, and we have the the knowledge he has about you and the care he has about each person. You can see why he's so dynamic in recruiting. Like while he's signing autographs of people who are there, he's like, so I, I hear that your, um, your wife has uh, just become a pastor. And um, I was like, yeah, how'd you know that? And he goes, well, Josh mentioned it, but that's fascinating. How long has she been working at that? And, He's signing autographs and he's carrying on a conversation. And then, you know, as we're winding down one of the commercial breaks, I said, listen, I I just want to say thank you because, you know, when you started at Alabama, I made this much money. And because of the success you've had, our show has had success. And you have basically put uh, my daughter's now a junior in college. And I've got a son who's about to go to college. You have helped me put two kids through college. And he looked at me. And he's like, now, why do you say that? And I said, because my salary was here in 2007, and it's here in 2021. And he goes, well, you're welcome. Nobody's ever thanked me like that before. And I said, I mean, I can show you contract from 2007 to 2021. And now we, this was before we had our own, our own thing. And I was like, it's, it's a real thing, Coach. It's a real thing. So thank you think Todd lifts all boats. That's just the way it works. No pun intended. Uh, I want to talk Auburn with you because
0: uh, you know the program really well. In fact, when I first reached out to you, I think it was actually for the, it was for the Pat Dye story um, uh, shortly after his death. And, and you told a bunch of great, great stories about your interactions with, with the late Auburn coach. What would Pat Dye think of the way that Auburn has handled this Brian Harson situation?
2: You know, it gets painted. Like it's Pat Dye's people that are doing this, that it's the old school Pat Dye camp that are the boosters that are, are the troublemakers. Um, and I don't I don't I don't know if that is all true or not. I know Pat Dye wouldn't like it. Uh I know Pat Dye was a football coach first before he became an athletic director. And he was a guy that cared deeply, deeply about his players. And whatever you think of Brian Harson. And I, and I tweeted this when this all started. At some point, the money people at Auburn, the people who are making these calls to cause this problem, most recently for Brian Harson, they have to ask themselves one day, do I love Auburn or do I love the power that I have at all? Hmm. Because those are two separate things. And if you love Auburn, when they did what they did um, to put him in the crosshairs, that was not good for the players. And uh, Pat Dye always cared about the players first. He built that program with a young, aggressive coaching staff that went right after Bear Bryant at the end of Bear Bryant's career and really was probably the most aggressive, young uh, coaching staff in the SEC at the time. And if you go back to the 80s, um, if, he, if Pat Dye had not scheduled um, too much, too many, too many big games I think Auburn could have won two, if not three, national championships. That's how good their teams were in the 80s. But if you go back and look at their schedules, uh, some of it was you know, just how good the SEC were, was in places, and they played them all. Um, but road games against Texas or a home game with Texas. And um, just Boomer Science's Maryland team, just one tough out-of-conference game after another, um, if Pat Dye hadn't overscheduled in the 80s, they would have had at least one, if not two, uh, national championships. And I still think they got cheated out of one in 1983. I don't think he'd like it. I think, it'd be, A, because it makes Auburn look bad, and he loved Auburn, and he loved his players. He wouldn't like it at all. And I think it's hard for Brian Harson to dig out of that, and he'd really hate putting a coaching staff in a hole with their hands tied behind their back.
0: One of the things that you told me that I found really interesting about Pat Dye was that – he was so he understood he was self-aware enough to know that he had to be kind of the opposite of Bear Bryant. He had to be inviting with the media. You know, like your first day covering Auburn and he invites you yeah. into his office before the game. Like that stuff's unheard of. And talking to Bear Bryant was like talking to God. And you know, to a certain extent, there are parallels to how this, this situation is now. And I realize that Brian Harson can't be that in the media landscape. If you, if you open your door up in that way, it would probably come back to bite you. But there's got to be some sort of balance with Harson because I feel like we're still asking the same question. And it's almost by design, like, who is Brian Harson? I, I honestly don't have a legitimate answer when anybody asks me that question. And I feel like people who have been covering the program, who know the program, are still kind of searching for that. And it feels like he's trying to come out of his shell a little bit, but at the same time, it's like... How do you come out of your shell when you understand what's going on behind you and all the things that are outside of your control?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. I don't think Gus Malzahn ever let you in to see the real Gus Malzahn either. And I think he was protective because of that reason. You know, Pat Dye was Pat Dye. He was himself. Tommy Tuberville ended up being himself, um, especially after the 2003 coup where they tried to get rid of him and bring in Bobby Petrino. He wins it, you know, goes unbeaten in 2004. And then you got a lot of what Tommy was before that. Um, he was able to loosen up. Um, I, I didn't, you know, when Brian Harson took over, I didn't blame him for approaching it that way, because I think you can look at the history of what Auburn football has been since bad die and wonder who your friends are. So if you don't know who's your friend, you're going to be protective and you're not going to really show your true self. But at this point, he's got nothing to lose because their roster is not top half of the SEC roster. So he has got to do a magic trick this year to me, uh, to get bowl eligible and to save his job because the same people who, who came after him just a few months ago are going to come after him. If he's five and seven or six and six again. And truthfully, this is more of a six and six roster. I mean, if this guy wins eight games this year, we should be writing his name in for coach of the year in the sec and his eight wins going to keep that crowd off of him um maybe not and you know the fans i feel like felt bad the way it was going i know the players who stayed did and those fans will be cheering hard early on in the season and you know they they have a couple of easy games before they play penn state they'll have a fighting chance against penn state but eventually that schedule turns into georgia turns into texas AM and into arkansas a tricky game with LSU, Alabama. I mean, it's just there's no forgiveness there. And if you can win the Penn State game, you got a chance at seven or eight. Um, if you lose the Penn State game, you got a chance of not being bowl eligible. And and um, and we could be talking about the next coach at Auburn, who's going to come in and probably not show his real self right out of the gate either, because he doesn't know who his friends are going to be.
0: Sounds like I know what way you're leaning with this question, but. Uh, I think nine and three in a top 15 finish, either that or maybe eight and four in an Alabama win, eight and four in a Georgia win, something like that. It feels like that's the mark that Harson has to hit to keep his job. Where do you kind of see this, this playing out? If you had to, to make a guess today, is, is he gonna have a job in year three, what would you say?
2: You know, you know it's funny last year, um, the Alabama loss at Texas Am, I kept waiting for Alabama to win that game. Um, and they didn't at the end. And, you know, great credit to Calzano on a couple of late passes. But after the, the block punt, I thought, well, Alabama's going to win this football game. Um, and the Auburn Alabama game, I kept waiting for the game to be over with, and Auburn was going to win the game. I'm still amazed to this day that Brian Harson did not win that game. And maybe we think of him differently now than we do. Uh, what number does he have to get? Uh, if if he gets eight wins uh, it is hard for me to see them firing him if they know football at all if they know football at all and this and this coach wins eight games even if he loses to Alabama and Georgia the two biggest rivals if they know football and some of them claim they do this guy has to me exceeded his roster by two wins and eight and four going to a bowl game is not an embarrassing season, especially in this SEC when you've got to play Georgia and Alabama and Texas a and which could be three of the top four teams in the country when it's all said and done, uh, and throw in a Penn State game. I would let him keep fighting at that point. Um, but, you know, I'm not the guy that runs the Auburn football program. For me, eight and four, he should keep his job.
0: I myself really intrigued by Robbie Ashford post-spring, kind of seeing what what he was able to do in the spring game. Um, he's had two years to work with my guy, Joe Moorhead, so you know that he's he's ready to go. I mean, that's not really an issue. I say that a bit tongue-in-cheek, only sort of. Would he be your pick to win the starting job, or would you take T.J. Finley or Zach Calzada?
2: It, it's got to be Calzada, right? You don't bring in Does it? Calzada. And if you're Calzada, you don't take it unless you're a little wink and a nod that you're going to be the guy. If it's T.J. Finley, I know this the response we get on our show, Auburn fans would not be excited. They feel like they know who T.J. Finley is. Um, but then we're always very quickly to remind people, you also knew who Joe Burrow was until 2019, and then he looked very, very, you know, really different. And then when my buddy Lance Taylor says that, I always fire back and tell me, okay, who's going to be catching these balls from Calzada? And to me, that's where – the problem comes is, is not as much a quarterback, because I think Bo Nix can have success success at Oregon. TJ Finley or Calzada or Robbie could have success at Auburn. But I still think they're mediocre to slightly better and mediocre in the offensive line. I think they're mediocre to slightly better than mediocre at receiver. And you look around the SEC, that's just not the way the contenders are built. And uh, to me, it's not the quarterback. It's that interior offensive line and those receivers that separates Auburn uh, from the top teams in the league. But in the end, I think it's going to be Calzada when it's said and done. Though his best game was against Alabama and everything else he did was very average.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think he missed a, a major opportunity in spring not being healthy, not being able to kind of un, uncork it with – you know, with, with two guys who obviously we have big questions about, but the the shoulder injury, I just kind of wonder about like if that set him back in the spring and it's like, well, we we saw what he was last year with, with weapons. I mean, A&M skill players were were good. I mean, they were really good and they should have been much better. And it's like, you got a full year and he was year three in Jimbo Fisher's offense just did not translate at all. But yeah, I, I do think that, they are going to be limited in those other areas. And I think that's a great counterpoint every single time we say, well, we think we knew what Joe Burrow was. And then it's, well, they also adjusted Jefferson and Jamar chase and, you know, exactly. the new offense and all these different things. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a tougher comp. Um, were you there for the kick
2: six? Oh, I was. Yeah. Um, what, was, what was the best memory from that night? Um, well, my personal memory that I tell a lot is I'm married to now a pastor, but she wasn't a pastor before. She was an art major back at the University of Montevallo, and she's not a sports fan. My daughter and my son are not a sports fan. I'm the only sports fan in my house. That's fun. Um, so so to tell you the kind of fan my wife is, um, Kick Six happens down at Auburn. Uh, I work with the not only the show at Jocks, but also the CBS affiliate. So the game's on CBS. So we do two hours of live television right afterwards from right outside the stadium. Fans are going crazy. Boom. We finished that show at nine o'clock central. Got to come back and do late local at 10. I got just a second. So I called the wife up and I'm like, can you believe that game? And we both grew up Alabama fans. So I, I said, can you believe that game? And her answer is, did we win? And I said, <laughs> baby, are you kidding me? No, Auburn won you don't know what happened? And she goes, was it, was it close? And I said, <laughs> yeah, I can't, I don't really want to go into it right now. I'll tell you later. But I was there. Um, my takeaway was um, that I have worked now 30 years in this business and obviously never seen anything like it. But I remember I was down on the corner of the end zone by where you exit to go to media interviews and right by the Auburn student section. And when the kick was happening, And then I saw him catch it, and he started running it back. I remember thinking to myself, can you return this for a touchdown? And he's running, and he's running, and they never blow it dead. The refs are running with him. And I'm thinking to myself, can you really return this for a touchdown? I mean, does it count if he runs it back? And obviously it does. And and 30 years, I'm thinking, in my head, I'm going through the rules of football. Does this count as a touchdown if he runs this back? And he runs it back. And they start storming the field. And I'm like, well, I've got to get out and do my show because we go pretty quick after Vernon the guys are done. And so I, I rush out to the, to the field thinking or to the, to the set thinking, my goodness, does that count? And I guess it does. And then, boom, we're on the air. And now we're getting aerials uh, from the CBS, the blimp. Uh, that we're, we're backhauling uh, the satellite connection. And I'm looking on the field and I'm like, oh my goodness, what a scene. The whole stadium has emptied onto the field and they're not going anywhere. Uh, so my memory to me is my wife's response, me not knowing the rules of football, and then just the beauty, uh, even if it's a guy who grew up an Alabama fan, the beauty of a f- stadium that has poured onto the field. It was one of the greatest field cup coverings I've ever seen. It was goalpost to goalpost. With very few people left in the stands, and they partied all night long, and uh, that's just the way that rivalry has been my whole life. It's always had those kind of moments, especially when Auburn wins. It seems like it's one of the more iconic games in college football history.
0: I would love it if your wife was just just messing with you the whole time. She like actually watched it and she told you. She tells you like years <laughs> after the fact. Like you realize, I, I knew what happened with the kick six. All right, like I, I was. I was just trying to just trying to give you
2: a little bit of a rise, but that's, 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 Uh, let me tell you, let me 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 tell you what kind of sports fan she is. Uh, She's going to start Duke divinity school coming up this upcoming year at Duke. Uh, So North Carolina Duke's playing in the final four this year. I'm in my sports room. She's not with me. I'm watching the game. Everyone is Duke in North Carolina. And then all of a sudden late, you know, when they're swapping baskets, time's running out. I hear upstairs. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, are you watching the basketball game? And she goes, "Yeah, I'm a Duke fan now. And she's going to Duke <laughs> Divinity." And I'm like, "Oh, you are." I said, "Well, come on down, watch the end of the game." She gets down, and she goes, "Just think how much fun it's going to be next year, me being able to go and watch Coach K coach." And I'm like, oh. uh, break, "Breaking news, <laughs> you're going to be the freshman class that does not have Coach K as the coach." <laughs> oh, and she's like, "No, oh. so that's the kind of sports fan she is. She'd missed all the lead up." that this could be Coach K's last game. Uh, That's incredible. Unbelievable. Um, To live in that world. Yeah. Sometimes I kind of wish I could
0: live in that world. I'll be 100% honest with you. Like, sports are great. This job is unbelievable. I love it. But to just have that that switch to be able to flip in those moments where you just experience pure pain. (laughs) like I mean, you have plenty of pain in your life as a a Tampa sports band. Like, don't you wish sometimes you could just hit that switch and just be like, all right, I'm going to wipe my
2: memory of anything sports related. I'm just not going to feel. I'm just not going to feel. Deal, and everything's going to be perfectly okay. You know, I don't want to go 90s pop rock on you here, but it's the uh, it's the rain that makes the sunshine better, man. It's the pain <laughs> that makes the joy better. That's why, I mean, when Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers, my Buccaneers, who I chose only because I grew up in Birmingham, I only chose them because everyone in Birmingham that was a kid was a Steeler or a Cowboy fan. And I was like, well, I'll take the new team with the crazy uniforms. And they sucked obviously. And then 79, they're playing for an NFC championship. And then they sucked again for the rest of my life. But in 2002, when they win the Super Bowl, I mean that feeling, and then I never really thought that would ever happen again. You know, Tony Dungy built that team, great defense, Brooks, the linebacker, my favorite Buccaneer of all time. Um, And then, and then, you know, Gruden gets the credit for it, but Dungy built the team. And then we, you know, we mess around, mess around, and then Tom Brady comes. Are you kidding me? Now, I never thought it was going to be another Super Bowl, but I was like, okay, I'll just enjoy having the goat as my quarterback for one year, and then uh, you know, win a Super Bowl. Okay, that's probably going to be the last one. I bought all the gear that they put up Sports <laughs> Illustrated right afterwards. I'm like, yes, give me the hat, give me the T-shirt that the players are wearing, and then next year we're in the playoffs again, and I'm I'm already ready for the rebuild. You know, I cried like a baby when they lost to the, to the Rams. My wife I had to come up, you know, to the sports room and like, are you okay? And I'm like, leave me alone. I, I got to work through this because we'll never win again in my lifetime. And then here comes Brady again. I mean, it's those dips and roller coasters that make sports so fun. That's why, you know, I feel sorry for people that don't, that don't have a team, you know, that jump on bandwagons or are not sports fans. Because the roller coaster, man, it brings you such joy, such joy. And um, it gives you a little camaraderie with people that you, you don't know. I can be uh, on an elevator in Chicago on a trip and I see a Buccaneer hat or an Alabama or Auburn hat and I've got something to talk about instantly on the elevator. And I'm that awkward guy that will bring it up on the elevator. I'm that guy.
0: It is such a built-in excuse. by the way, did I did I hear you doubting the the future of the Kyle Trask era? Was that
2: is that a little hesitancy yes, yes.
0: I heard from you? Um, I don't like that.
2: Yeah. yeah. I don't it's, don't sign me up for a Dan Mullen quarterback ever, other than Dak Prescott. And I'm still amazed that worked out. <laughs> I want to get you out of here with uh, with some rapid fire. Just five questions.
0: First thing that comes to mind. Does that work? Okay. Okay. Tampa sports. Uh, is it true that it's only considered a hockey dynasty if you win three cups in the same decade or did the Blackhawks set too high of a standard for them to reach? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Are you a Blackhawks fan? Just a little bit. Uh, I mean, we could 3 this year. It's not over yeah. yet. And we, we look like we're struggling to beat the Hurricanes or the Panthers ever. And then the Maple Leafs could have their year. But um, I, I would take back-to-back in this year of hockey as a dynasty, but I would say it takes three for a dynasty, and we have three total now, uh, just not as many as the Black Hawks. From your lips to God's ears. Let's let's not yeah. forget that. <laughs> yeah. uh, what was the the worst on air
0: interview of your career? Maybe maybe something you did that was awkward, or something that they did where you're just like, oh God, we can't get out of this.
2: Um, early on, um, this was back in um, microwave set, microwave trucks. I was at Birmingham Barons, um. Before Jordan. I was, was going to say, Birmingham I hope Bears. it was MJ. <laughs> it was before Michael Jordan. It would have been uh, my first job out of college. I worked with the CBS station in Birmingham. My buddy Doug Bell was covering the Masters, uh, being a CBS station. So it was opening night or second night of our minor league baseball team. So I'm at the Hoover Met and I have edited tapes of Baron Highlights, Masters story that Doug has done at the Masters, and one other that only I had time for one other tape. I had forgot to take the tapes back to the tape area Um, was not online. Like it is now back to the tape area where they put the tapes in when you're doing your sportscast. Then I drove out to the, the baseball stadium to do my live shot. And as I, you know, young, young guy, rarely got a chance to anchor the main newscast and I'm doing the lead in, Hey, it's opening night for the Barons, but first let's go to Doug Bell. Who's over at the masters, Doug, the fake toss. And I'm doing the fake bo- head Bob on television. And the guy in my ear goes, Hey Jim, we don't have tapes. <laughs> I'm like, so what do I do? I mean, I'm barely out of college. So I basically talked for two more minutes. No- God knows what I said. And I had forgotten to take the tapes back and it was the disaster of a sportscast. Worst interview I've ever done. Um, <laughs> uh, there's been so many, cause I am awkward. I mean, just the other day we had Barry Jones on the show and, uh, and I started introducing him as a great father, a great son. And then he was like, you could hear him. You stopped me. He said, please don't say Holy Ghost coming off of Easter. And I was like, <laughs> and, and it threw me. So it was the worst intro of all time. So, I, I mean, all my interviews are horribly awkward. And uh, luckily, I think the, the listeners and viewers of our show um, find that, you know, enjoyable somehow. They suffer with me and they like it. I, I think you're great at it. So I think you, you're beating yourself up too much there. Uh, what is the well, What's the perfect Chick-fil-A order? Um, in the old days, we would get the Chick-fil-A slaw to add on top of a number one. Uh, no, don't look like that. Uh, what is that? Uh, they used to have Chick-fil-A slaw. It was a slaw, just normal coleslaw. And I would get a number one. And when it, when I would get it, I would add a little bit of the coleslaw on top of the chicken sandwich. And that was a great order. So I, I always go number one. And, uh, you know, that's what I go with. But I would always get a side of slaw and then, you know, add that to it. The chicken even, sandwich, little slaw.
0: I don't even like slaw, but I, Chick-fil-A could come out with anything. And I think I would have to try it. And I would probably eventually love it. Like it's just That's just the way that it works.
2: Does your Chick-fil-A have the mac and cheese? Oh, yeah. Yeah, mac and and cheese is next level. Yeah, it's like they take that little torch, they do cream brulee and make that top toasty looking because not every one of those can be toasty. Somebody's back there going, making it toasty. But I love Chick-fil-A. Who doesn't? Um, You need to win a
0: national title and you get one of these guys in their prime. I give
2: you prime Herschel or prime Bo. Who do you got? Ooh, that was a debate for years and years around here. Um, Despite not winning a national championship, I would go with Bo Jackson. Um, Bo went to a rival high school of mine, McAdory. Um, Had a great run in what is known around here as the tornado game um, because uh, a a meteorologist named Mike Royer um, on the station, I think it was the ABC station that was carrying Alabama-Auburn um, and it was at Legion Field. They made the announcement. Uh, there a tornado warning in effect for Legion, the Legion Field area. Please seek safety. Now, tornado warning for those that don't live in the paths of tornadoes or when a tornado has been spotted on the ground. There's a tornado warning for the Legion Field area. Please seek safety. The crowd cheers. Right. Mike Royer, local TV guy interrupts programming as is protocol to let everybody know there's a tornado on the ground in Bessemer. Phone lines flood. Please get off. We're watching the Iron Bowl. <laughs> they never slow the game down. Royer doesn't do any more weather updates. Tornadoes on the ground. Luckily, it doesn't come anywhere near Legion Field. I don't think anyone was, was heard. Luckily, a lot of uh, tree area out there. But in that game on a wet Legion field turf, Bo Jackson runs 75 yards near side, right to left on the camera. Um, And I think Bo Jackson could do that for me if I built the right team around him. That's the guy I think deserved to win a championship in some sport at some level, uh, either at Auburn or with the Raiders or with the Royals or with the White Sox or the Memphis Chicks. He just never got an opportunity and in, and I'm sorry, my Buccaneers screwed up his eligibility, or maybe he would have been a Buccaneer, and I wouldn't have had all these years of suffering. So I'd go Bo Jackson.
0: We might get it like a one-star review from a Georgia fan, but that that answer was was worth it. That if you're going to, if you're going to answer that question, you need to have some sort of miraculous feat to be able to cite, because obviously those guys have no shortage of them. Okay, last one for you. Uh, it's, you, I, I don't I don't know if you're gonna be able to answer this. Who retires first? You or Saban?
2: Oh that's an, that's an easy answer. Um, Nick Saban does, um, because uh, I don't have the bank account he's got and <laughs> and my job is easier than his job. I don't have to deal with NIL. In fact, I make money off of NIL. We've got Montana (laughs) Fouts on now. We had John Mechie. We had Bo Nix. We're going to have more Alabama and Auburn players this year we're already working on. So NIL is helping me. I'm sure it's driving Nick Saban crazy. Um, At some point, he's got a great lake house, a wonderful family, and all of that. Meanwhile, I've got two kids and a wife that are going off to college. I'm about to be an empty nester. I've got to do this 30 more years. Uh, just to pay off all this college debt I've got. So easy. I last longer than Nick Saban does. Are we sure Saban doesn't do it for another 30 years, though? Well, if he does, then I'm going to make a lot more money because he is <laughs> flowing money right into my banking, uh, checking account. So I'm all for him going 30 more years. I'll go 30 with it. Jim, this has been great, man. Really, really appreciate the time. I'm sure we'll chat soon. I hope so. And uh, keep watching the morning rounds. it's a good chance you'll be there again tomorrow. Love it. How about this one? I call it bold and brash. More like, belongs in the trash. (laughs) Sorry, I must have missed that one.
0: Bold and brash, SEC receivers edition. Um, Major, major turnover at the position this year. Six of the top seven leading receivers from the SEC are gone. Only one that's back, Cedric Tillman, Tennessee. Um, not really bold for me to say that I think he will lead the SEC in receiving. Um, if you go by the PFF numbers, eight of the top ten graded receivers from the SEC are gone. Tillman and Lad McConkey are the lone two back, of course. Just two equally directed. amazing receivers. Hey, very similar uh, in what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I guess we, we, we can include some tight ends in this discussion. We'll have a little bit of tight ends. I don't know if we're gonna do a separate bold and brash SEC tight end edition. I don't know how many of you wanna get into the weeds with some of these tight ends. <laughs> we can, I have no problem with Me that. Sure. But I don't know if we're gonna get the greatest interaction on that, on that segment, so maybe we'll, we'll punt on that we can just include some of them in this discussion. Top um, five wing backs. Yeah, uh, we, we're not allowed to say wide back. Debo wants us to, to kind of Put that on the back burner, which Debo just did what Wanda Robinson did. Yep, I I, I saw that pointed out. Um, uh, who was um, I, my guy? I think it was my guy Nick at KSR pointed that out. And I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, Yeah, why well, would a receiver want to be a running back? The <laughs> where you think of it, right. uh, long term, probably makes sense. He's like, Oh, wait, running backs last how long in the NFL? Receivers last how long? Uh, yeah, I don't want to do that thing anymore. Uh, we're mm-hmm. gonna need to be able to figure this out. Anyway. Um, yes. What were we talking about? Yeah. Oh, oh, I had, okay. So receivers, that's right. Uh, not really bold to say that Brock Bowers will lead the league in touchdown catches, Mm -hmm. but I do actually think that it's bold to say that he would lead in any other category because despite the unreal year that he had last year his volume really wasn't crazy on a per game basis which would kind of surprise some people if you look at the numbers but um my semi bold take last year was that Traylon burks was better than george pickens pre acl tear of course we're talking about yeah now i'm seeing nfl draft people say that they want pickens over burks and i'm like oh It's really hard not to respond to all of these tweets, but I won't I won't do that Listen if he if everyone could just dump
1: on Burks till he really falls into that, you know, 16 18 number range. I think that's best for everyone
0: Do you think the Saints are gonna get him? I dude if he's there, I hope so I mean Assuming that Mike Thomas is Dude if it's if
1: it's him, they're talking to Landry today, so it's gonna be a fun fun year for the Saints. Hopefully lovely
0: um, okay, so if I had to do two bold takes that stray from, like, my actual takes of saying, like, oh, Cedric Tillman's going to lead the SEC in receiving, I'd say A.D. Mitchell and Jack Besch are going to be the conference's two leading receivers. Hmm. Kind of bold. Georgia coaches absolutely love them, some A.D. Mitchell. They are really, really high on him. They love his work ethic, not just because of the title game heroics and all that stuff, but somebody that I think has a really high ceiling, in my opinion, despite the fact that former three-star recruit and wasn't really a highly-touted guy. But uh, the the be- the, the, um, the the Jack Besh prediction is because, as we talked about a month ago, I don't think that we can assume any outcome for Keishon Butte mm-hmm. is really, given at this point. Brian so, Kelly,
1: on you, that middle name now, boy. Watch out. Middle name, Kelly's dangerous. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I just, I'm sure he's gotten got that. That's where he's at.
0: Do you know Keyshawn Butte's middle name? No, I'm sure it's interesting. It, Keyshawn's an awesome name. It's a good name. It's a really good name. So is Butte. Um, which I don't even feel right saying that. I kind of like, I kind of pause before I say his name every single time. I'm like, don't embarrass yourself, Connor. Don't embarrass yourself. Because mm-hmm. if you say it like real Louisiana, it's like Butte. Like that's, that's... Like, you hear Ed Odron say that, and then you okay. hear me say it, and you're like, mm, this doesn't really sound, this doesn't sound as good. It's all right. You're, you know, we'll give you a solid B+. Plus. It's definitely a passing grade. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I'm uh, I'm higher on on J- on, on Jack Besh than, than I thought I was. So uh, he actually graded out with really similar PFF numbers to, to Butte. Take that for kind of what it is. But mm-hmm. did that as a true freshman, pretty chaotic season uh, that it was in Baton Rouge in 2021. Well, any thoughts on that or any bold SEC receiver predictions yourself?
1: I'm glad you said that about Beshman. You're absolutely right. I think he has great just chemistry with the team. He was a guy who's a really good scramble ball guy. He's a guy who a play breaks down. He's mm. always just, you know, glue in his hands. And I think that sometimes, especially in the new offense, that's like a trusted guy. So yeah, I think that just, I don't, I'm not trying to like hype the LSU guys, but I think that one of them is going to be there just because we, there are so many good receivers leaving and there's going to be, you know, a Bama guy, there's going to be a guy, you know, probably a Georgia that, that just pops out and, and becomes their guy other than the tight
0: end room. But yeah, I, I
1: think that as far as what we know right now, I think that's, that's a pretty good bet.
0: Let's go to the Facebook group. I had a lot of responses for this. Um, Emory Picker, sorry, Emory, we, we we couldn't we couldn't do do yours uh, last time in, uh, in figuring out because it was too long. But he's got I think a good good prediction here for for the way that Georgia's receiving production could break down. Uh, two of Georgia's top five receivers are tight ends. One is a running back. One of the other two is a former three star. <laughs> so I thought about this. And I like it. I like it a lot. It's actually um, as, uh, who was it? It was uh, Chris Milan pointed out in the Facebook group, not that bold, LOL. Uh, it's kind of right mm-hmm. because two tight ends, especially after watching that spring game, you're like, all right, well surely two of Bowers, Washington, Gilbert, Elp, two of those guys being top five receivers on the team, not crazy. One running back, uh, Kenny McIntosh is that guy. He had the highest PFF grade among sec backs for receiving if you take away that snap minimum it's really good when used as a receiver they want to be able to get him involved in that a lot more now obviously with james cook gone zamir white gone there are going to be those opportunities available and then one three-star wide receiver um you got three of them that, that i think he has in mind here ad mitchell who we just talked about jackson meeks and then lad mcconkey so not really that crazy to think about that uh, checks out pretty well It's good prediction Man, not that, that bold. That receiver coach must've been awesome to develop those guys. Uh, anyway,
1: so um, point being like, yeah, that's that's just the most Kirby team of all time, right? It's so funny that we told Kirby for so long, he couldn't win playing his way, and then he did, and now it's like, yep, two tight ends, running back, two, th- they're like, we, we have this like, just heliocentric 1980s offense, and we're just gonna bludgeon you to death
0: on defense. I love that team so much, man. Watch that May 1st deadline. Georgia going after, maybe another receiver.
1: going could add another tight end, just run, five another tight ends. Say-
0: yeah. We're, we're not going to, you know what? We're going to actually get away from offensive linemen. We're going to, we're just going to leave them off the field <laughs> entirely. We're just going to run a team with tight ends. All mm-hmm. right? We're only going to have a couple of them who are eligible as pass catchers, but whatever. That's not the point. We got a of tight end room and we want to show it off. That's what we're going to do. All right, let's go to this one from Tristan Smith. He says Tennessee's Cedric Tillman goes off 1500 yards on the season. Uh, yep. No notes. <laughs> fully, fully in agreement there. I was too late on Tillman last year. I, I do. A, I, I got a couple of Tillman notes that I wanted to share. Um, and so like, I, I think there are a lot of people who kind of would be surprised to look back on his numbers and you see like, whoa, guy over thousand yards receiving and ended up being just kind of go-to guy for Hendon Hooker down the stretch. He was a, a year four guy who obviously was not very very highly talented as a recruit, pretty lightly recruited guy who got like a last minute offer from Pruitt up until October, mid-October of last season, here are his career numbers. This is a guy in year four. Keep this in mind. Career numbers to that point, 24 catches, 334 yards, four touchdowns. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: From October 16th to the end of last season, just that stretch, it's a seven game stretch, 48 catches, 871 yards, and 10 receiving touchdowns. Dude went off. He was really, really good down the stretch. Touchdown in every single game. He hit either six catches or 100 receiving yards in every game. And he went off against Bama and Georgia. He hit two Bills against Georgia. Yep. But we didn't really talk about that a lot because it was all in was... the first quarter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> went off in the first <laughs> quarter. Of course. Why? Yeah. Why wouldn't he? Um, but it was really good in that game, and it was really good against Bama as well. I mean, 352 receiving yards combined against Georgia and Bama. He's nasty, man. Pretty good.
1: You're absolutely right. Like It's almost like he got underrated because he wasn't a preseason guy. I'm, I'm big on him this year.
0: Yeah, and, and by the time that he exploded, Tennessee was already out of any sort of division race or, or anything like that. And Yeah, when you're not a preseason guy. But... Man, coming into this year, another year with Hooker, it's like, whoa. And I I think, who was it? I think Jalen Hyatt had a comment, um, and I'm blanking on the beat reporter, the Tennessee beat reporter who had this, so I apologize, but had something about how, like, last year at this time, there was no doubt about it who the hardest worker was on that team. And It was like, Cedric Tillman's just in here all the time, and he is getting after it, and Hyatt's like, I want to be that guy now. And Mm -hmm. I I saw what it took and I saw those results come out the other end and Hyatt's been kind of one of these guys who's had just had a a really nice spring for them. So he could, even if he eats into that workload, there's still so much volume in that offense. And we know that they're going to take those chances downfield. So I am very, very high on Tillman, very high floor type of guy as well. right um caleb tillman says uh, one of Georgia's tight ends either brock bowers or eric gilbert leads the sec in yards after catch bowers is more likely to do that than gilbert um we haven't seen a lot of plays in which gilbert has really kind of run free and like escaped a lot of tacklers now he's broken tackles in the open field no doubt about it but we have not seen any sort of Eric Gilbert-like emergence in the way that we saw Brock Bowers basically run, what was it, like 87 yards <laughs> in that play against Georgia Tech. Yep. That player was just like, oh, he, dude just outran everybody. It's a, unbelievable. If you look at the, the scrimmage plays of 70 yards, like there's a list. If you go on uh, college football stats, it's CFB stats, which is what I use for like everything. It's yeah. awesome, awesome website. Um, and if you go by like the individual players who have had like two plays of 70 yards from scrimmage last year, it's like Brock Bowers and then running back, running back, running back, running back, running back, receiver, 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 <laughs> receiver. You're like, oh, there's no tight ends here. Uh, yeah, that's, that's not really surprising because Brock Bowers is not a human being and probably unfair to just call him your typical tight end. Mm-hmm. Um, that'd still be a really tough thing to be able to do for a tight end but probably more likely that somebody like Tennessee, somebody like Cedric Tillman, somebody like Jalen Hyatt could kind of step into that role. But I think that they're going to have room to be able to make some big time plays. Um, so I like being able to, this is bold and brash. I hate. It, I, I always like talk myself out of things. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, that's why they're here, of course. Connor <laughs> Culling takes
1: bold, bold and brash. Yeah, dude, yeah. I think, on, on the Tennessee tip, their offense is so vertical. <laughs> I don't think they can lead in yards per catch. I mean, those balls are in the air. Um, whereas, you know, if you get those crossers going for Georgia and you get these linebackers in single True. coverage, you get Eric Gilbert. And for saying that out loud, it's funny. Like I would want to fake a hamstring injury to save my draft stock if I was a linebacker playing against Georgia yes. because you can't look good. Like, old boy from Ohio State that fell to the Saints because he was stuck on all of Alabama's great receivers in that, um, in that championship game. It's like, every linebacker is going to be that guy.
0: Yeah, uh, you're... you're matchup uh, matchup nightmare galore uh, mm-hmm. if you're if you're in that spot and you're forced to cover one of these guys in the slot or something like that that's just gotta be a, a crap your pants type moment I, I would push back on the Tennessee thing just real quick just cause they, they'll have a lot of those plays where like if you go back and you watch some of those those long pass plays that Hooker had where you know he's throwing from like the, the 25 or something and they catch it on like the opposing 40 mm-hmm. and it's like well you still got all that room to, like you watch that Purdue game you still got all that room to be able to run after the catch and it's just a free path to the end zone so i do think that that, w- that would probably be the most likely offense to to yield the the yak award which i don't even know who keeps track of that that's advanced advanced stats type stuff maybe somebody somebody has that that i just have have missed that the, the, last yak council. the yak council i'd like to be on the yak council forget just having a hyphen vote put me on the yak, yak council that's all i'm a Love humble it. man yeah Uh, Clayton Tyler Lavelle says, Tennessee's Tristan Smith goes for 1,653 yards as the Vols' 12th man. (laughs) Facebook group for Tristan Smith. I don't know what that means, but uh, Lauren Jefford said, uh, they better say this on the pod just for us. So, here you go, Lauren. Clayton, we said it on the pod just for you.
1: (laughs) I bet Hypo could get Tristan about 500 in the year. If we give him some bubble screens, really, <laughs> really get them wide open. I pulls that type of dude. If he throws every first quarter
0: pass to him, I bet we can get Tristan up there at least,
1: at least, you know, three bills.
0: What's his his top end speed? What's are, are we maxing out? Are, are we getting into like? Can you can you get to 16 miles per hour? Can you get me 16? <laughs> oh, we're not we're not asking for 22 here, man. We're just give me 16 and we can, we can work with that sure a little bit it, in this right? office. All right. That's just the way that it's set up. Um, Chris Max says, I say Burton will not be the leading wide receiver at Alabama. I have some thoughts on this. Um, we haven't talked a ton of Jermaine Burton at Alabama just yet. I figured we're probably going to have a lot more chance to be able to dig into that. We talked a little bit uh, about that with Chris Doring when that news first happened that he was transferring across enemy lines from Georgia to Alabama. I think with Burton, you've got to wipe Jameson Williams from your brain. Just get rid of that right now. Those expectations are not fair. Just like we talk about with Jaden Hazelwood trying to step into this role with Traylon Burks, kind of wipe that out of your mind. It's not fair. And some might say, well, Williams didn't have spring with Bryce Young like Burton did. And Williams didn't have two years of starting experience like Burton did. So why can't he be that guy? There's also part of me that would, you know, if if I'm going to say Burton is going to have a big year, I would, I would say, well, you know, Alabama would really like to feature Burton a lot because think about this. What a great re- recruiting tool that would be if you're Alabama and you could say, yeah, we took a transfer receiver from Ohio State and we turned him into a mal- an All-American and we turned a transfer receiver from Georgia into an All-American. Not that Alabama needs any more ammo when it comes to talking about developing receiver talent. Yeah,
1: one thing about Alabama, man, they just don't have receivers.
0: <laughs> People keep saying it. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, if you can do that, I think you would be, you would have just one more thing to be able to take into the living room. But I think volume could be an issue, I, I really do. Chemistry is obviously really big with Burton, that was something that was well documented, he wanted JT Daniels to be the guy, and didn't necessarily develop that rapport with Stetson Bennett. I know that he had the injuries, but I mean, 26 catches in 14 games with Pickens out? Yeah. You know, I For as highly regarded as he is as this route runner, I, I don't know. I. I think some of that has to come back on you. That can't just all be on Sets and Bennett. All right. Um, I'm I'm a little bit more intrigued by by Ja'Cory Brooks. And I, I think that's somebody who, if I'm if I'm picking a guy to be that number one receiver, I can see that happening. He didn't get the spring buzz because he's been been out with an injury. But averaged 60 snaps per game in those last four games. And think about who that was against, because not all reps are created equal. But in those last four games, the secondaries that he went against, Auburn. Really good secondary, mm-hmm. Georgia twice, and Cincinnati with, you know, obviously Solid. having Sauce Gardner and Kobe <laughs> Bryant, different Kobe Bryant, but, you know, that's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good competition. Yeah, so I, I really wish he could have been healthy in the spring, but I, I still like his, his upside, his possibility, the former IMG Academy product. So, yeah, I, I'm, on, I'm on board with a bull prediction like that and maybe, you know, Burton kind of getting this Jameson Williams Type hype going into the year might be might be a little bit unfair for him based on what we've seen so far
1: real quick on that a guy i'd definitely keep eyes on we've talked about jojo earl uh he's exactly yeah. the type of guy that i think would play well with bryce young we talked about broken play guys guys that are able to kind of get open he is the shiftiest dude man and lsu almost had him and i watched a ton of his highlights and I, he like I think he like has only been on the field a little bit I think he played special teams and made like muffed a punt last year I only heard his name played a called a couple of times because of their amount of receivers, but I think he's the type of guy that really, really, really could like get open in the open field. And the way that Bryce Young likes to play football, where he can kind of, you know, survey the field, move around, dump the ball down. Like a guy like Earl, we talk about Yak. I mean, if he has that chemistry, I think could be disgusting. Maybe not this year, maybe next year, but I think it's a guy to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah. Earl and Christian Leary, the, the two guys to watch in the slot. They're, they're, they're going to be factors, I think, in that offense with the way that Bryce Young typically likes to operate. I agree with that. Uh, Tyler Lynn. We already actually, we we just kind of talked about the the Jalen Hyatt thing uh, at Tennessee. So don't want to necessarily dig into that as much. But he did say Jalen Hyatt is first team All-SEC outdoing even Cedric Tillman in year two under Josh Heupel. That does qualify as bold for all the reasons that I outlined. Austin Foster says Hazelwood plays second fiddle to uh, Keetron Jackson and Malik Hornsby is Arkansas's third leading receiver. Okay, I got some thoughts on that. Um, this might be our boldest that we've had so far, probably to say that. The, the Ketron jackson buzz. It's been off the charts in the spring, going into his sophomore season. True sophomore season, by the way, because he appeared in every game as a true freshman, which that tells you a lot about what this coaching staff kind of thinks of him, not necessarily to preserve his red shirt by only playing him four games or doing something like that. Played in a career high 37 snaps in the Outback Bowl, but didn't have a catch, had five catches for 97 yards last year, had a score against Arkansas Pine Bluff one of these guys that KJ has to develop that trust with. Super explosive, but not one of these guys who has shown that he can consistently get separation yet, which, you know, pretty standard for true freshmen. Don't expect many true freshmen to come into the SEC and, and get separation at an elite level. Just not going to happen. But he is a major X factor for this season. And that that in itself is the key for, for this Arkansas offense and how good it can potentially be. I talked a lot about Hornsby on the last pod, so we won't get too much into this, but I'll just kind of leave it at this. Whatever your expectations are of a quarterback switching to receiver, lower them because it's really freaking hard. It's really hard. The example I always bring up is Braxton Miller. Yep. Two-time Big Ten Player of the Year as a quarterback, switched to receiver for that 2015 season because he realizes Cardell Jones, JT Barrett, they're going to be the guys at quarterback. I thought Braxton developed pretty nicely into that like Percy Harvin, Curtis Samuel type role in that Urban Meyer, Dan Mullen offense, whatever it is. And even still, guess what his production was? Because it was probably less than you thought. Even though he had the, the spin move against Virginia Tech and he went viral and he ends up getting drafted and you're like, all right, this actually kind of worked out. Volume wasn't there. Do you have, do you have any guess? I'm going to guess, just because of that setup, I'm going to guess like 800 yards. Oh, way less than that. Oh wait! Really? How, yeah. how much and was it? He had rushing yards as well, so I don't want to like. He had. I think he ended up having like six hundred scrimmage yards or. Oh, 650 he or went like that. the third round, man. I thought he was a I know. doing something. Yeah. 25 catches for 340 yards oh, in 13 games. Oh, yeah, it's That's tough, it. man. That's a really good point. Wow. It's hard. You know, like it's an entirely new skill set to run routes and to get on the same page as a starting quarterback, no matter how electric you are in space. John Rice Plumley, another great example of that. Two years of playing receiver at Ole Miss in that offense. Think about all the potential in that offense, which is obviously similar to what Kendall Riles likes to be able to run. He had 25 catches for 280 yards and no touchdowns. It's hard. It's really, really hard. Okay. With Hazelwood, Uh, I'm going to say it until I'm blue in the face, but Traylon Burks, not the standard. We need to be reminded of that constantly. The goal for Hazelwood is simply to become the number one guy. Um, He hasn't been that in his career yet. After he came into Oklahoma as this five-star guy, um, he's not known for getting separation either. You know, Kendall Bryles did say you throw it anywhere near him and he'll go out and get it, which in theory would suggest, all right, monster year. He's going to be able to kind of take that next step. But KJ was kind of programmed to play against that last year, which, Like that's part of why he only threw four interceptions. He doesn't necessarily take those chances all the time. And it's just not a given that Hazelwood or Jackson develop into those like go-to guys for him. But that's what I think is going to determine the upside of the Arkansas offense, which we know is gonna be really good running the football. But if you're going to be even a respectable passing offense in the SEC, you've got to be able to kind of figure out what that looks like. And those guys have to step up and KJ's got to be willing to put that trust in them. All right. Let's do, um, okay this is going to sound like a hater. And I'm, 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 I'm promise you, I'm (laughs) not trying to do it
1: different. Wow. (laughs) Um,
0: Adam Stockton, Adam Stockton. And I'm going to give Adam some love at the end here. So, so stick with me. Do not turn off the podcast. If you don't like the first response to to this, but Adam says true freshman, Dane key, he's talking about Kentucky thousand receiving yards, 100 receptions, 10 touchdowns. That is bold. Um, I, look, I, I said a week ago about how Kentucky staff really, really likes him. The true freshman there's, there's a belief that with Wandell gone, there's actually now more depth in that receiver room with having Tavion Robinson, the Virginia tech transfer, having Javon Baker, the Alabama transfer, and then key, the true freshman. Um, the last time a true freshman receiver in the sec hit hundred catches hundred or hit hundred catches a thousand receiving yards and 10 touchdown catches was never. I was about to say, I was like, I don't know who's
1: coming to mind for that.
0: The only instances that any SEC receiver hit 100 catches, 1,000 receiving yards, and 10 receiving touchdowns was 2020 Devontae Smith. He won an award for that. Uh, You might have heard of it. It's called the Heisman Trophy. 2019 Justin Jefferson also checks out pretty good. 2014 Amari Cooper. Uh, that's the list right <laughs> so. there. So, uh, don't know. Uh, Makai Polk was actually only one touchdown away from getting that last year, kind of an underrated year that he had for Mississippi state, but yeah, pretty tough. Only six guys in sec history hit 100 catches in a season, including Wandale, who only had seven receiving touchdowns. So he doesn't even technically qualify for this 2018 Jalen Waddle. One of the best true freshman seasons that we've seen by an SEC player in the last decade. Mm -hmm. His numbers were 45 catches, 848 yards, and seven receiving touchdowns. Again, like, I'm not trying to hate on Adams. Lower your expectations. Lower lower the expectations a little bit. Uh, Adams' overall point about Key is that he should probably have a significant role in this offense from the jump which i absolutely agree with he had a really nice spring he's a four-star recruit from lexington number one recruit in the state Uh, he's going to be involved but a guy who was just short of a thousand yards and 10 receiving touchdowns in high school probably won't suddenly do that as a true freshman in the sec but i'm gonna throw this out there see adam i told you i was going to get to the good part of this answer Adam's the guy who accurately predicted that Kentucky would start off 6-0. Yes, he and is. We, and then we mocked it. And then we had Adam on the podcast. So, you know what? Maybe Adam's right. Maybe we're just idiots. If, if Dane Key puts
1: up 1,000 receiving yards, 100 receptions, and 10 touchdowns, Adam, you're coming back on the podcast. <laughs> it's all yours, man.
0: You got it. The, you, the guarantee right now. Uh, let's go to this one from uh, – let's, let's end with this one from, uh, from Matthew Murphy. Uh, Matthew says, without uh, Jalen Weidermeyer and a young receiving core, Anaya Smith breaks Ryan Swope's receiving yards record at Texas AM. Okay, thoughts on this one as well. Um, Ryan Swope's record, in case you were wondering, 89 catches. I think that's the one that he's talking about. He doesn't have the receiving record anymore. That lasted for two years, and then a guy by the name of Mike Evans broke it. You've heard of him. <laughs> heard of him. Pretty probably. impressive. Impressive, though, that he was actually able to hold on to that receptions record, too, because Evans and Christian Kirk came after him. Oh, yeah. Both those guys were awesome at a and Swope hit that uh, 2011, year before Manziel, kind of took the sport by storm. So, very impressive. Kenny. I would love to see, Yeah. <laughs> Who could forget him, as well? He was good in college. Yeah. He was good in college. Good in the NFL, too. Until he met Terry and Matthew. Yeah. Like most uh-huh. people. <laughs> If, look if that's the biggest knock <laughs> against you i'm gonna forgive you for that okay yeah. I it's like it. him dog with georgia it's
1: like oh you didn't you didn't play great against georgia wow yeah <laughs> or sorry kj kj not
0: hand dog he actually played pretty solid yeah he's all right he's all right they still went like over 50 minutes without a touchdown drive but, but yeah yeah you know, you know. i get what you're saying yeah for sure uh, i would love to see this for an Smith. smith i really would because It feels like when his career ends, he's going to be one of those guys that isn't appreciated as much as he should be. Mm -hmm. Think about his role, 2019 true freshman. He played more receiver than running back. 2020, AM needs another guy to compliment Isaiah Spiller at running back. And they really aren't sure what Devon A. is going to be yet because he was a true freshman at the time. He's obviously a track star. You kind of don't want to necessarily throw him into that role where, as we know at AM, a number two back is going to have a significant workload. So they kind of wait for him to develop. And Anaya Smith is playing a lot of running backs. So he doesn't really have this gaudy statistical year, even though, you know, he ends up still having nearly 900 scrimmage yards, 10 touchdowns. So pretty solid overall all and did exactly kind of what they needed in that role and then 2021 he goes back to receiver but the quarterback situation was terrible it was Mm -hmm. bad so like his chance to emerge last year like as this legit go-to option in the role that he was most comfortable in it disappeared because there was no such thing as a go-to option with Zach Calzada all right there just wasn't you know he wasn't one of these guys who's ever going to kind of fuel a thousand yard re- uh, season for any of these receivers, any of these pass catchers, um, but they have they have some major questions at receiver, and it kind of worries me. We talked about Caleb Chapman on a, a pod a couple of weeks ago, and he hit the portal almost immediately after that, which mm-hmm. that's yeah, we got cold takes of course. Kiss of death is happens. back, baby. <laughs> yep, it is back. I don't know how many people picked up on that, but yeah, that definitely did not look well or look good for us, but. Um, Damon Demas hit the portal, Widermeyer's gone, and now you're kind of looking around, you're like, All right, Jalen Preston, Moose Muhammad's son, and then Evan Stewart, the guy that everybody's really excited about. Still, those three guys had a combined 27 catches for 408 yards last year. I love Anaya Smith, I love the route running, I love the ability to make guys miss in space, but I do kind of find myself wondering is he in for a frustrating year? It, it could be, despite all that ability. Alternatively though, and maybe this is the the bold prediction here, Max Johnson wins the starting job and he just kind of force feeds Anaya Smith targets like he's Keyshawn Butte.
1: (laughs) Anaya Smith is so we're just cheering for Max Johnson super hard in practice right now. yeah, everybody see that throw?
0: He's like said. So, he's actually said some really complimentary things about Haynes King as well. So I mean he's been complimentary about both. He kinda he, he, he definitely walks the walks mm-hmm. the line there. He's not one of those guys that's gonna give, you know, favor to either one. But I I mean still I'd kinda be wondering about that. I'd like to be able to kinda see what that would look like. But a guy who I hope has a big time year, could be getting that All-SEC love coming into the season. Probably not one of these guys though, that's going to get the same sort of projection of like a Keishon Butte or something like that. Probably coming to the all-purpose slot, if I had to guess. The mm-hmm. first team all-purpose slot going into the season. Um, any other thoughts, any other receiver thoughts? Yeah, I think um,
1: just on a nice Smith really quick, like that would be, you know, as the the inner sports writer, I guess, of me is rooting for that because he's just like the apex, like 12 man, like A&M guy who just like stuck around, dealt with all these situations. Like that would be super duper cool. I'm actually really rooting for that hard. That would be fire. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, I think we covered all. There's not a lot, you know, obviously to cover as far as guys returning. I think that we hit on almost everybody. I'm sure saying that there'll be a guy from like Mizzou who just. Has 2K yards Luther
0: this year, <laughs> Luther Burden. We didn't do anything bold and brash by Luther Burden, but sorry, uh, all the Mizzou fans for forgetting him. The five-star true freshman, he's uh, he'll catch a lot of passes this year. There you go. <laughs> there you, he he might be the guy <laughs> that hits
1: all those marks. But yeah, no, that's uh, that's pretty much it, man. I'm I'm. It's wide open, and we
0: would love to see it. Love to see it. Amen to that. We're both going to be out of town this weekend. Both uh both going to be on a playing bad time that people listen to this probably Mm -hmm. actually interestingly enough we're gonna have a future we're gonna do a figuring out nashville soon just handling nashville (laughs) as an adult the best way to go about it i'm gonna have a little bit more perspective after this weekend um excited to be able to experience it for the first time as an adult should be great gonna hit up hattie b's gonna be a great time uh
1: shout out c right hattie b's enthusiast Oh, he he already
0: knows he's, he's, Hey can you mail me some Hattie right. while you're down
1: there? Yeah, it's like
0: see right, we, we live like an hour and forty-five minutes away from each other, man. Like I don't know if, <laughs> if you I, I don't know if that travels really well. But uh, yeah, it should be fun weekend for both of us. We will have NFL draft preview stuff next week. As crazy as it sounds, draft is like a week away. Yeah. This time next week we will be very deep in all things draft. So um, yeah, look out for that. I'm excited. We haven't even really
1: done draft stuff because like weird stuff keeps happening. Like obviously the spring games, but it's like now in this modern like era of college football, like it used to be, man, you obviously know better than me. This time of year was just like spring games and then like kind of nothing. Now it's like, oh, this guy's transferring. This guy is like winning a job. Like it just feels like college football is legit, like 365 now, you know?
0: It does, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we'll, uh, I'll probably do like some sort of, maybe we'll do a bold and brash NFL Draft Edition. That's what we should do. That should be your next and brush for next week. Get the people going. Okay. (laughs) Get the people going. What does that mean? It's provocative. Yeah. Uh, Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast if you have not already. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name, Red On Air with Figure It Out or and Brush. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.